My name is John, and I'm thrilled to be joined by my co-host and fellow film bro, Travis, to present the inaugural Beyonder Awards, where we will be <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> Sorry, Travis. Yeah, yeah, you're good. You're good. All right, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, slobs and snobs of all ages, welcome to Beyond Infinity, a show where fellow like-minded cinephiles have assembled to discuss, review, theorize, and wax intellectual over any and all things related to the cinematic arts. My name is John, and I'm thrilled to be joined by my co-host and fellow film bro, Travis, to present the inaugural Beyonder Awards, where we will be crowning the best and the worst offerings that the film world has brought to us in the year of 2022. It had been a while. Been a while. The roads were a little empty. Places where we used to gather went quiet. We had gone through some times that tested us, but we're starting to see the promise of a new day. For more than a hundred years, there's one place where we all came to gather and be entertained, to escape, to go someplace new. The movies. <laughs> this is the Vin Diesel speech that he did in those ads, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing like the moment where the lights go down, the projector ignites, and we believe after staying apart for so long, it was time we came back together to laugh, to cheer, we were ready to believe again, because nobody does a comeback like the movies. Yeah, there was, this was a good year for AMC ads last year with the Vin Diesel one that I was just doing this year with the Nicole Kidman one uh, that I refrained from doing. And my lack of remembering to write an intro because I decided to write a thesis on all the movies that I fucking enjoyed this year uh, kind of distracted me. So I got a little bit lazy, but Travis, we are doing our inaugural best of and worst of beyond our awards uh, this year on the show, where we will be looking back at the year of our Lord, 2022 talking about the world of cinema. It is New Year's Eve. We are 17 minutes from the year 2023. You this are. Is all, I am. Oh, yeah, you're too. Fuck. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. yeah. I have told all my friends, family, and loved ones that uh, I wasn't going to make it uh, past New Year's, so don't text me, please. So I put my phone on silent so they didn't think I was ignoring them. But this was a good year for movies in my opinion not so much a good year for the marvel cinematic universe what this show is based on not the greatest year for the mcu the foundation and cornerstone of beyond infinity but 2020 very strange year for movies 2021 very strange year for movies 
in terms of release and profit and what the future of going to the movies and consuming mm-hmm. movies and be troubling and kind of depressing time uh, during the whole pandemic as far as movies like getting occasionally hyped up or something and then it delays and delays and reasonably so but it's still rough <laughs> yeah and it and it it's like the entire industry obviously was shaken but in a lot of ways it was reshaped as well because cinema can now be consumed so easily and it's so readily available and that gave filmmakers creators and mostly studios the best and worst of intentions where there's more competition for viewership than ever before just because the sheer volume that these studios can crank out is obviously increased, right? And we're mm-hmm. getting things that would normally have been big theatrical experiences, grossing hundreds of thousands, hundreds of millions, Jesus, um, in, in theaters now relegated to streaming platforms. And and I was just thinking, like, before we were on the air, um, I forget what I was rewatching today, but I was thinking about how, like, when something made $100,000 and meant it was a hit, you know what I mean? Like when something made that much money, it was a hit. But now, you know, we look back at movies like Black Adam and Morbius and the superhero movies that barely scratched um, half a billion and they're just like utter failures. And that's that's a crazy <laughs> thing so to weird. think. Yes, yes. Uh, like I don't even know what the Edgar is different for every movie. But yeah, then you yeah, get people talking about how overseas sales don't count as much as uh, – domestic so you can't really count them the same so how do you even figure all that up how it's impossible uh, it's impossible if yeah. they make a sequel that's how you know if it was a success and how do we constitute what's a success in the world of streaming is it some really complex algorithm with how many times individual homes and individual users watched it and how many times people shared it and how much activity it has on social media and how many articles were written about it. What's the staying power of a lot of these things that are being released to streaming because there's always like the next one and it's free because you already paid for it. So come see this, you know, Um, as opposed to the week to week box office returns, which is traditionally where we kind of measure the success financially of a film and critically often the other stuff I was talking about, like how often it's talked about is critical reviews. We're not going to be talking about superhero properties and comic book properties today. Um, Intentionally excluded. Yes. Intentionally excluded. Although not a single one, I think would have made my top 10 of the year. How about you? Oh God. That's tough. Um, Black Panther might have, but I uh I like yeah. the name more too much. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's I fair. think I think the Suicide Squad would have been the closest for me. Um, that was this year. That was that was February of last year. No, okay. or of this year of this year. Yeah. Jesus. Well, yeah, by the time the listeners yeah. are listening to this, it'll be last year. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was like a mere eleven months ago. You know, it's it was kind of crazy. Insane. Yeah. Insane. The Batman, the Suicide Squad, those were the more successful superhero outings this year. But again, back to like what I was saying at the top, like people returned to theaters in a way this year that we hadn't seen 
in 2020 or really 2021. Like we have gotten some big post pandemic films in theaters, namely fucking. um, Oh my God. I just spaced on it came out last year. Spider-Man no way home. And F9, the Fast Saga are the names of the movies I was trying to talk about. Um, Normally relegated, again, to giant franchise stuff. That's like a whole nother discussion. But this year we got, you know, movies like Top Gun Maverick, which made billions. You know, like it it crossed a billion dollar mark. um, And it wasn't a CGI best of comic book characters part of a giant grand cinematic universe. It was a sequel. No one asked for to a movie (laughs) that was made 35 years ago, you know? Um, So, and also my precious avatar, the way of water uh, just crossed a billion, I believe. Right. And um, I think it's going to have some staying power because what is being released theatrically up until really um, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Yes. Yeah. I can't worry. So yeah. Yeah. The, the big theaters that have the IMAX and the Dolby and all of that aren't going to be showing anything other than Avatar Two: the way of yeah. water until the next Marvel movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or maybe the flash. Uh, and if, Marvel if movies is. typically don't have lags. Uh, it's no. like opening weekend, really strong, uh, and then sharp drop off. Uh. Yeah. Uh, there's like the exceptions that were like the, the black sheep, like the first guardians, of the galaxy really being mm-hmm. the big one, the people who returned for Endgame and infinity war. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was the culmination of 10 years of storytelling. So it's, of course, those would hopefully have legs there a little bit. Eh? Yeah. And I mean, like, the summer blockbuster this July was Nope, a movie written and directed by a comedian that was an original science fiction horror property mm-hmm. shot fully on IMAX cameras by the guy who shoots interstellar and Christopher Nolan. You know what I mean? Like it was a unique year for film where the blockbuster returned in a big, big way, in my opinion. Um, But also we get a lot of kind of, I don't want to call it independent fair, but kind of um, like critically revered, mid-budget stuff which is mostly what my list consists of (laughs) um (laughs) um that felt like the kind of stuff where in 2019 2020 2021 would have just kind of been in that churn and burn realm of kind of streaming shit like the five bloods was or something along those lines you know what i mean or roma was um you know um so Unlike the Academy Awards and the Golden Globes that leave their biggest and brightest awards for last, we do have multiple categories, but let's start this one off with a bang. Our top five best pictures of the year, five being the worst, one being the best. We don't accept half, even though I have a couple ties. Um Released between the months of January and December of 2022. Um, Travis, 
I'm going to start my list off with my number five favorite films oh. of the year. Oh, when we're doing honorable mentions, are we saving that for after? Save that for after. Save oh, that for after. God. Because then I, I want the audience. I don't want them to like deduce. Oh, what do they got here? You know oh, yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Save yeah. those. Yeah. Save those for after. Um, I have a tie in my number five spot. I have Ambulance, directed by Sir Michael Bay, and Jackass Forever, directed by Jeff Tremaine. Um, two movies I don't think you've seen yet, right? No, no, I'm not. I'm not. Okay. I don't know how much you would like Ambulance. Uh, um, it's a movie that is very partial to to my taste. Um, how do you feel about the Jackass franchise television show in general? Is was it ever I your thing? I enjoyed them when they come out. They don't like they're not ones I go back to, but I enjoy them if they're on, like on random TV or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I again like we were in high school when Jackass the television show was out, and um, you know I skateboarded growing up and watched a lot of skateboard videos and stuff so like jackass just felt like oh my god there's it's skateboard on tv without skateboarding you know it's like the best parts of those <laughs> it's videos just the violence and the- yeah it's just the violence and like them getting into fights and shit yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah um but again like this year alone in a time where a theatrical experience is totally uprooted and in turmoil and totally jeopardized to just become extinct. Um, getting to see movies like Jackass forever and ambulance in that crowded room in the theaters on the big screen was kind of the nicest surprise I could have asked for, for somebody who likes that experience, rom-com studio comedies, that kind of style of filmmaking um, of like action movies, like, Michael Bay they're the kind of movies that are often really relegated to direct to video streaming or television streaming stuff Um, I know Jackass Forever is not the best or even in the top (laughs) five best movies of the year this is a very personal pick based on my lifelong bias and nostalgia for growing it really does yeah this is a very personal pick um that being said, I think this movie is completely electric and hilarious. The gags are insane. I rewatched it today, getting to see Steve-O tied to a pole uh, while they stick a queen bee inside of his urethra and let the beehive swarm towards him is insanity. Um Chris Pontius and another guy, they take like two plates of like plexiglass and squish their dicks flat and they play um, uh, table tennis with their dicks. Um, Just that kind of stuff you don't get anywhere other than the jackass guys. You know what I mean? And girls now. Um, The new new cast is okay. They don't like have it the way Pontius and Knoxville and those guys have. I didn't miss Bam Margera. I was never like the biggest Bam Margera guy. I think he's kind of a spoiled brat. Um, But there is like a sentiment between the cast and the crew that's like so real and that kind of energy and love and camaraderie between human beings being on a giant screen. Um, I haven't seen that in any other film this entire year other than one that's going to be my number one pick um a decade ago 
if steve and johnny knoxville would finish a gag they would kick each other in the dick and push them down a hill and like drown them in in horse cum or something along those lines yes. but now they're in their 50s they're oddly smoking hot and after each of these <laughs> gags there's a lot of this like i'm so happy that you're alive and i have you in my life kind of like camaraderie um mm-hmm. that this movie like really does celebrate that like kind of friendship um and i really dig it ambulance um is another really unique kind of theatrical experience that i thought had gone the way of the dodo uh the last time michael bay made a non-transformers movie <laughs> i had to get drives this is a true story i had to get on two trains one bus and a cab to see it in like the weirdest movie theater i'd ever been to and it felt like netflix was trying to hide the fact that six underground even existed and um I- yeah, I, I was genuinely worried that now that Bay was done with Transformers, we would have lost that very unique kind of movie. Um, and like, say what you will about the the, the Bayhem, that's what they call it. And it's like influence <laughs> on like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but like that, it's influence um, a lot like all the other like Jerry Bruckheimer, Joe Schuster kind of like productions of like the late eighties and early nineties, other filmmakers. I kind of, uh, I think have similar influence are like the Michael Manns of the world. The, um, Tony Scott is another guy. You know what I mean? That stuff is felt in like every single dumb franchise IP action movie that we have seen since the rock. You know what I mean? Like, that very specific style of nonsense mm-hmm. is so fucking influential on like what big movies that make a billion dollars do right now. And ambulance is Bay at his best playing to his strengths in a way he hasn't done since before he was with transformers, really simple premise emotions and stakes are so basic. The action is over the fucking top but like completely plausible. It doesn't feel like unrealistic kind of, it feels like feasible. Um, And it's kind of like simultaneously like stripped down by its dumb premise where it's like two guys holding an ambulance driver captive while they're, it's a big long chase movie. Um, It's really stripped down, but really bombastic at the same time in terms of like it's set pieces and its characters. Also Jake Gyllenhaal, um, appears to only have watched the Al Pacino scenes from heat on repeat during the production because he's just screaming the entire fucking movie. Um, Yaya Abdul Mateen, who is going to be joining the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Wonderman. Correct. Yes. Yes, he is. Yes. He is. Great, great actor who I want to see become a leading man. This is a really nice platform to prove that he's capable of holding down a likable role in an action movie. Aiza Gonzalez is so smoking hot. She's like who you call when Anna de Armos says a role is too slutty and God bless her for it. Um, <laughs> say what you will, but you know, that's true. And um, strapping an IMAX camera to an FPV drone, my friend is such a simple thing that I can't believe has never been done before. Why has this not been implemented in 
every single fucking action set piece ever yeah, yeah. where dude like everyone's like oh we could just put it into unreal engine and make a realistic environment and have the <laughs> have the you know what i mean and have the uh the environment yes but dude having a fucking imax camera on this fucking fpv a first person view drone for those uh those fucking noobs out there um <laughs> <laughs> um, the pores yes yes they yeah, don't yeah, have yeah. drones or, they're yeah, affordable yeah. now man they're they're affordable you can get a decent fpv for like 200 bucks they're pretty fun <laughs> um but uh it, there's something about the camera whizzing around these car chases like you know like a, a cop car flies over a pound of shit and is about to blow up and the fucking camera is able to go underneath it fly over and then do like a cinematic like pullback like mm-hmm. onto the explosion and then whiz into the action i'm like this is the coolest shit it's so kinetic and infectious and god bless michael bay for the the madness that that he is i i like michael bay i defend that guy um what's that french youtube channel that i turned you on to that we oh, can't pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. Where people are just picking out movies in a, a video store. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the Michael Bay episode of that is like he's like a real artist. <laughs> it's so funny. Like it's the he, opposite of the Reffin where Reffin just pick out complete nonsense baby films, kind of. Uh, yeah. 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 What does Reppin pick up? He's like Big Hero Six. Love this movie or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I don't even say it was that good. It was just yeah, yeah just yeah, the most just like, mainstream shit. I don't know if they pissed him off beforehand or what, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I have no clue. They in his is on all the cocaine, wearing a leather <laughs> jacket, and screaming about John Luke Godard and John Cassavetes. And I'm like, I didn't know you had it in you, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was. A very, very sweet thing. So, um, yeah, those are my oddball, throwing them at number five, personal picks uh, for the Beyonders Award for for the top five best films of the year. What is your number five, Travis? Uh, Similarly, this one is kind of a popcorn movie also. Uh, It is Prey, the latest installment in the Predator franchise. Uh, doing something that I find more interesting than having the Predator be in a jungle or our modern day or whatever. Just mm-hmm. and I like the lead actress Amber Mid Thunder. She was dope in Legion. Uh, yeah, continues to be dope in Prey and is kind of believable as a badass. I kind of hope that she gets uh, some other like uh, Marvel role at some point if she sure. wants that. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Get a paycheck. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like I, I know Legion was popular and everything, but I don't know how much she got paid for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Danny Trachtenberg, too. Um, pretty good resume of like solid ability to handle like mid-budget borderline franchisee ip stuff very well with like uh 10 cloverfield lane i think was the other one that he's kind of like most known for that's a movie that i really like that was nothing like i expected it to be that he's been able to execute really well yeah that one was nothing like i expected it to be because i was expecting the movie i originally saw in the trailer 
before mm-hmm. they did reshoots and turned it into a Cloverfield movie. I, uh, yeah, I was really looking forward to it whenever it was the other movie, and I still thought it was okay until the end. But <laughs> you know what's fun too about Prey, and we did an episode on it when um, yeah. when it had come out. But kind of like looking back on it now, because I was you know almost like six months ago, which is like insane. Um, <laughs> is it kind of does the opposite of what most I'll say bullshit franchise shit does where franchise stuff sets up a sequel sets up giant world building stuff like prey is just you know what predator is right and you get like their deal <laughs> yeah L- let's put that in this and see how it goes you know it's watching self- characters fight and yeah and it does do slight uh sequel teasing at the very end with the credits but yes yes and it has its fun with the Easter eggs, like the gun they gave um, Danny Hopper. Uh, what's the actor's name? Danny Glover at the end of yeah, Predator yeah. 2 and shit. Like it does have some fun stuff like that in it. But for the most part, it just cares about being a good movie. Surprise. That works. Imagine. Right? Yeah. Imagine. yeah. Imagine. Limited links to anything else. It's just doing its own thing. Kind of. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of cool. For it. The only really- the CGI was the only downside, and with it being direct to streaming, that was kind of expected. But uh, mm-hmm. I think this movie would have done fucking gangbusters in theaters. I think it would have done very well, especially after the positive word of mouth and everything. It most people dug this one, so it's yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's something again. Like I was the reason I took uh. I'm glad that we're doing these back to back because the reason I took Jackass Forever and Ambulance were because I was just surprised that I could see that kind of movie in a movie theater is because, you know, Prey is a perfect example of one that it's kind of like, why wasn't this in a movie theater? Yeah, it's so good. Like put an extra fucking five million into the post-production and like a couple mil into the marketing and this movie would have done great. It would have like done it itself. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm excited, I guess, to see what Disney's, what do they call it, 20th Century Studios does with Predator as a franchise after this, especially because it's, again, like, it seems like it's on the right foot, right? Yeah, that is kind of a question I have, too. I don't know like how much Disney was involved in the creation of this one. Uh, and like it had to be in the works somewhat with Bot still being an independent entity or whatever. Yeah, but them just releasing it and it being R-rated and it gives me hope for when they do an alien film soon, uh, which will also be direct to streaming on Hulu as well. They're relegating these R-rated um, films yeah. to stuff that's not Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> you don't pop from Wally to this. Yeah, I mean they have the parental ratings or the parental settings now on Disney Plus, but they're not really using them for much yet. Deadpool, mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. Uh, Logan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Prey. Um, if you want to hear more on Prey, definitely go back and listen to our episode on it. I was telling you before we started recording, that was the most fun I've had doing an episode in a really long time. Again, because it's it's relieving to get these franchise movies that are these self-contained little like, Oh, we're, they were worried about making a good movie first and a franchise second, mm-hmm. you know? And, and you could really, really fucking tell. Um, 
Can I do my number four? Do you mind? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Number four, the Beyonder for for John's number four film of the year is 3,000 Years of Longing, directed by 77-year-old senior citizen George Miller, whose last movie was seven years ago and was fucking Mad Max Fury Road, a movie that redefined exactly what you can do with a craft and all the limitations were just kind of stripped from the table. Um, I love George Miller. He is this kind of like elder acclaimed filmmaker you know like now he's like this older guy um but he's like like when people get that old you kind of like come to expect certain elements (laughs) and tropes from their work like we were talking about spielberg where like you started the new spielberg and you're like "Eh, it was too much like a spielberg movie for me and i had to turn it off yeah it was very wholesome like so wholesome that it was hard for me to believe that anyone ever had a family that was that that kind and good-hearted especially with my upbringing (laughs) I agree, man. And like, uh, I mean, like, talk it's about very like, good, but yes, it was very like uh, romanticized. Uh, and and like Marty Scorsese, like with The Irishman, it's like, oh, I'm getting a new Scorsese movie, right? Like these kind mm-hmm. of like older filmmakers, like you come to the table knowing what to expect, right? Nothing could be farther from the case when it comes to George Miller's new movie. 3,000 Years of Longing, a movie that flopped very, very hard at the box (laughs) office, but he made Mad Max Fury Road and he was allowed to do whatever the fuck he wanted. Um, Going into it, I kind of felt like an idiot for thinking I knew what I was going into. Um, The trailers were really misleading where it was like, had this like dubstep song and it was like from the maker of of Mad Max Fury Road, you know, and then you remember like, and the guy who did Happy Feet and Babe and Lorenzo's Oil and, um, you know, that weird uh, horror comedy thing with Jack Nicholson and Cher. Um, why would anyone ever think that they knew what they were getting into with this movie? Um, most of this movie is about a 3000 year old genie who wakes up, uh, is woken up by like a mousy intellectual lady and consist of the two of um, two of the world's greatest and hottest uh, character actors sitting in a hotel room uh, discussing, talking. yeah, talking like, and arguing. Also, like it's uh, almost like an anthology, but also, uh. yeah, it's like intercut with these like little short like moral fables that play out like legit like classic fairy tales and yeah. And, serve as these kind of catalysts for what our characters are discussing and pondering and arguing about. And it's very broad shit, the meaning of love, the meaning of life, the meaning of loss. Mm-hmm. Um, most importantly though, this movie is about the power of companionship and what that can hold and the um, stronghold that loneliness can take over uh, theme that we will talk about. I think when we get to our number one, um, <laughs> the last act of this movie is where it really will win you over or lose you completely, though. Um, Which aspect? Well, I guess. Uh, all right. Spoilers. Brief spoiler, brief spoiler <laughs> for the next, like, skip ahead one minute. This movie ends with Tilda Swinton wishing that she, the genie falls in love with her so he doesn't have to be lonely anymore and she doesn't have to be lonely anymore. And it kind of becomes her playing house with the genie for, like, 45 minutes. And... I really adored all that and think uh, that's, I did too. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah. This is one of my honorable mentions. I like this movie. I think me, you, and David Zabala, our, our friend David, yeah, I think the we're pod. the only people that praised this one as much. <laughs> I think we're the only people that saw it. This movie made exactly $15 <laughs> five for each of us. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Miller wrote this movie with his daughter, too. Oh, um, sweet. Sweet, especially... Yeah, like coming to terms with death is a huge part of this movie. And like, Mm -hmm. it's really, really meditative. Like this whole movie is like a gigantic fable. Very Keller-esque. And that's kind of what I was expecting. And that's what it gave me as far as uh, simple storytelling done well, kind of. I love a story about stories also Mm -hmm. like um we did an episode about neil gaiman's the sandman and the sandman show on netflix and sandman is one of those stories about stories as well and it's one Mm -hmm. of the reasons why it works so well because it does have that metatextual level on top of it um where you have these characters who know all about these tales and this history and this fiction but they're not able to like absorb the merits of it and the point of it and live like the way that it's trying to tell you how to live and how to, how to, sorry, I had to burp and how to be and all that. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's incredible. And the, the set pieces in this movie are fucking insane. Like the attention to detail um, that really like, it seems like George Miller is like the only mind who's like capable of formulating or like, isn't, too lazy to actually do um is another thing um and and you get some really good a really really good quiet performance out of uh idris alba which is something we don't have a lot of lately where he seems to be kind of stuck in these like big budget like he's a movie star now idris alba yeah yeah you know he used to be the guy from the wire and the bbc and And then they made him do a dark tower movie and then he's been in these Marvel movies for a bit in a, yep. a yep. small and he's part in a DC movie. because it's him, but yep. Yep. And he's in a DC movie and he's in, uh, he's black Superman in uh, don't forget Brixton in uh, fast and the furious presents Hobbs and Shaw part one. Um, he's in that film also. Um, and patron saint of the podcast, Tilda Swinton. Uh, Yes, yes. Sheer delight. I think this is my favorite movie with her uh, that came out this year. I didn't catch the A24 one that you saw. Uh, I, yeah, didn't love it. It was not a great performance from her. Like, uh, she plays two yeah. characters in that, and she's done that in the past to great success, but uh, it just felt like it was still this one talking to herself. And I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hate to say it, but yeah. Uh, one of the films it, on my... She plays her daughter and her mother. So it... it yeah. Too similar to... Uh, yeah. As opposed to being like an old lady of a giant monster <laughs> and like an evil witch in Suspiria. That, yeah, yeah. And an yeah. old man. An ancient old man. Yeah. 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 Um, I was going to say uh, one of the honorable mentions on my list uh, is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. She does play two roles in that movie also. Um, being voice roles, but still. Um, side note: Do you think a lot of the roles that Tilda Swinton would normally get are being given to Gwendolyn Christie this year? Ooh, <laughs> I 
can kind of see that they both have an ethereal quality. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, fucking Tilda Swinton, I, I first took note of her in that Constantine movie, which plays a very uh, androgynous angel. Uh, and fucking. <laughs> yeah, Gwendolyn uh, does it in The Sandman. Yeah, she plays Lucifer, and it's a very cherubic face. And yeah. Yeah. And that like headmistress role in the Wednesday show. Um, that yeah. Did. yeah, yeah, I could have seen uh, Tilda Swinton there too. Huh? Yeah, doing that like five, six years ago, Tilda Swinton would have been gotten that call. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Um, but I liked them both. Whatever. I loved Three Thousand Years of Longing. It's a movie that nobody saw. I don't. <laughs> I think it came out. It came out in August. It really got dumped. I'm glad it got a theatrical release, although. I don't really think it matters. I think this was going to be a blank check movie for George Miller, no matter what, mm-hmm. um, where it's kind of one for you, one for me thing with that guy right now in his elder years where he did Fury Road. It did gangbusters. No one could believe it. They're like, okay, you get to do one now. Takes him seven years to do. And he's already like shot and and in post for the Furiosa movie, um, which should be coming out like next year, which is insane. Uh I'm really excited for that. Hopefully it does good. very well. Uh, Dude, it's a fucking new George Miller movie. Of course it's going to do well. It's got Mad Max in it, you know? <laughs> um, and Anna Taylor-Joy is everywhere. Um, everywhere, yeah. yes. Everywhere, all at once. Um, but not there. <laughs> but not there. But not there, surprisingly. There is not a universe where everyone is Anna Taylor-Joy in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Travis, what is your number four for the Beyonder Awards? top films of 2022 i think this may be one of the first ones that we share uh it's armageddon time a movie that from the podcast tony crespo uh is he made a post about it on facebook and that kind of prompted me to check it out uh not something that would have initially uh caught my interest i don't usually go in for uh many coming of age drama sort of movies though i do mm-hmm. love an occasional one if it hits just right this was such a case. Uh, I yeah. loved how it, it touched upon class and racism and this grandpa played by Anthony Hopkins and a pretty good performance for him. Uh, giving morals to his uh, his grandson and how you yeah. can't have to stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves because you might be next. Uh, yeah. it It's scary in that way that uh, James Gray, who made this movie, this is a very much like his kind of like pseudo autobiographical film, right? Mm-hmm. Um, something like he actually went to the school that's in this and, and lived a very similar life in Queens at this specific time. Um, but James Gray being like, a, you know, a Jewish, um, a Jewish man from uh, Ukrainian Jewish ancestry, um, a lot of this film, you're talking about how it deals with like, you know, classism and racism and privilege, he, uh. privilege especially. But I think also like assimilation is like a huge mm-hmm. part of this where he has this friend in the film who is a black kid and they have similar problems, you know, to more or less, you know, they're both equally mischievous and disparaged younger Mm -hmm. children in these families that they're not very happy with. Um, But this kid that 
the James Gray surrogate has the privilege of, although he's Jewish, he's also white. So he can kind of like slip through the cracks when he has to, as opposed to his friend um, where James Gray's character can be like rescued by his whiteness. His black friend is just going to be like swallowed up by the state. (laughs) And uh, that's really sad. Yeah. 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 It's a very realistic take. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you are notable for not liking children on this podcast. Oh, yeah, that's well. the other part of it. It's just like a child actor that does a very good job. Oh, yeah. yeah. Didn't cringe. He didn't. Yeah. There were no woohoos or anything. That <laughs> no yippies. You know I mean? Yeah. 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 I think both the kids did a really good job. The one playing uh, Paul, I think, is the main character's name, mm-hmm. James Gray surrogate. And, um, and uh, and his black friend Johnny. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, there's one scene in particular that kind of resonated with me, where uh, his black friend brings over a tape or something, if memory serves, and it's got some music he wouldn't have encountered before. And I had a similar experience to that with Prince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Someone brought over Prince and was like, "This is the shit." Yeah, well, he brought it over because he wasn't allowed to listen to it at his house, friend. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes, yes. Something uh, kind of funny. I have uh, I oh, I can't even show you. Great for an audio medium here. I have uh, Prince socks on today um, that my sister bought me while visiting uh, the Paisley Park estate. Ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She just picked them up. So shout out to my sister for picking up those Prince socks for me. Um, nice. This is my number three pick as well. Um, Armageddon Time is tied with The Fablemans, uh, Steven Spielberg's latest movie. Um, two very different movies that are also extremely similar at their core because mm-hmm. they're both made by older filmmakers of Ukrainian Jewish descent um, to kind of like paint the canvas of their childhoods and reflect on family and values and art and mm-hmm. the American identity of the times in which they grew up. Um, Fablemans. I like later Spielberg with the exception of um, what was that horrible one that felt like a Gamergate movie. Oh, like uh, Ready Player One. Ready Player One. Yeah. The movie yeah. that was like, you're not a real fan if you don't know this. You know, that's like that whole movie felt like that to me. And it was like garbage. But I'd like, I like wept watching West Side Story in a movie theater last year. Like I felt so corny because I don't really like musicals like at all. Um, and I was not, exp- I was like, why is Steven Spielberg making a West Side Story remake? This sounds like the worst idea. And then I saw it and I was like, oh, this is better than the other West Side Story, the famous one that won the Academy Awards and shit. Like it was real. I like this because he can do what he wants. He doesn't give a fuck a lot like George Miller. Yeah. You know what yeah, I yeah. mean? Um, yeah, the Fablemans traces the kind of genesis of Spielberg's life long devotion to film and the craft of filmmaking and kind of paving the way that we know eventually this guy is going to make the prototypical modern blockbuster. Um, But it's, it's a lot more than just the Spielberg biopic. It is this kind of like reflection on values and traits that we inherit from our genealogy 
as well as our, as much as our life experience. You know what I mean? Like in the movie, Paul Dano, the Riddler, um, (laughs) (laughs) plays his father and his dad is this, uh, computer engineer, you know, he builds machines, uh, and he implements his craft with like this definitive purpose. Like everything has a purpose and a reason and a means, and he's got the mind of an engineer, his mother played by the ultra waspy, uh, Michelle Williams <laughs> playing this Jewish woman. Um, she has the mind of this artist. It's a mind that wanders, it creates and it attempts to find meaning and all the flaws of life and the imperfections. But both of these traits are going to naturally be inherited by their children. That's how life fucking works for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad, like on a personal note, my dad is this like Ivy league educated banker. And my mother is a very flaky, artistic, kind, sweet woman. You know what I mean? So this kind of shit kind of like hit home for me where it's like, how do you find the balance in that? You know what I mean? And and I think I have in a lot of ways, uh, professionally and socially and stuff like that. And obviously Spielberg and his surrogate in this movie, Sammy Fableman, um, uses these traits and like almost like weaponizes them. You know what I mean? Like he's able to take these two kind of world views and weaponize them to become like the best of both worlds in his art. And we know this from the movies that Spielberg will eventually make. Like he executes his filmmaking with technical proficiency and so much purpose, like almost like an engineer would where if he didn't have that artistic mind and those characteristics of his mother, that would ring so hollow. You know, he'd be Colin Trevorrow, <laughs> you know, um, but he doesn't like Spielberg always had that, that like corny kind of emotional core to all of his shit. And mm-hmm. um, this film also ends uh, with David Lynch um, portraying legendary directors, director John Ford in like probably the most memorable and hilarious scene I've seen in a long time. And Apparently, David Lynch worked for Cheetos. Like, he said he would do it so long as there were Cheetos backstage. Um, Armageddon Time, though, much more somber than Spielberg's. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the only other thing I really have to say about Armageddon Time, uh, its title, both a nod to the Clash song, Armageddon Time, Armageddon Time, right? Um but also kind of poignant in the sense that this movie almost traces the roots of the social and racial divides that we've seen kind of erupt in the post-Trump era, right? There's a lot of like Ronald Reagan is running for president in the background and his family kind of hates it. Um, the school that he goes to the big benefactor is Donald Trump's father. And there's that scene where I think it's Jessica Chastain plays like Trump's daughter. And she's like doing the big Alamada speech where she's like, you know, the only thing that's going to get you anywhere in this life is like working really hard and doing really well. And you can see this kid sitting there like, the fuck is she talking about her dad like paid for this yeah, school. Yeah. Like, she started know, the, on third <laughs> yeah, yeah. home was no big deal yeah you get a bunt he can hit home here you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. um and and i 
think that there's a very foreboding nature to Armageddon time that um, no other movie other than maybe like defy uh, not the five bloods the one before that um oh my god black Klansman uh was capable of doing um where black Klansman was this really like spike lee did this like really poignant um reflection on race relations mm-hmm. and then after the story is told and everyone has their big victory and having beers at the bar like we did it we won we beat racism and then it shows the fucking charleston riots before trump got elected and this neo-nazi running people over with this car and it was just kind of like it's not over you know um but yeah it's going to and- be a never-ending battle as long as there are people who don't uh look or think the same it's yeah and the like fight. the good fight, but, but also like Armageddon times, like if we preserve our individualism, it's going to culminate in like loss and sadness and death. And that's a bummer. You know what I mean? <laughs> like if, if this guy who this kid embraced his Judaism at this school, he probably got the shit kicked out of him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. And, and he was always scared. It was it's crazy. I also like Jeremy Strong, the guy who played his father in this. I think he did a fucking great job. Like, might get my uh, supporting actor award if I if we were doing an acting category here. I really like Jeremy <laughs> Strong. I think you should watch Succession. Um, <laughs> Travis, with that being said, your number three film of the year for the Beyonder Awards 2022. I think this may be another one that we share on some level, is it? Yes. Uh, your your number three is also my number two. We didn't time this out, I promise. We didn't plan <laughs> this. I was going to change things around if it didn't work out this way. I'm very happy this is Kismet. So. Yes, yes. Uh, it is uh, Robert Eggers' The Norseman. Uh, this guy is three for three for me as far as like, home runs. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, this was... Art House Conan the Barbarian and uh, fucking a really cool performance from Alexander Skarsgård, uh, where he plays Sabretooth pretty much. It's mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> he's, he's like a wild fucking animal. Uh, and oh man, it is a fucking wild movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't, it's hard to work down. I'm sure it's very historically accurate and everything as well because. That's what Robert Eggers does. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's so historically accurate and well done and set dressed and the production value that it's like almost hard to talk about just the story. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> the actual production behind it and how it looks and, and it's historical accuracy. I feel like that kind of like overshadows this movie in a lot of ways, not like in the worst way, because a lot of the story we were talking about before it aired is problematic as fuck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the the characters, if you think about them for too long, uh, they're not good people. They're they're fucking monsters. <laughs> yeah, this entire society pretty much. And we're being kind of pro racism, I guess, against these these Northmen. But yeah, 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 yeah. they were savages. Uh, like yeah, uh, firing a bunch of people into a barn and then just. <laughs> setting it on fire it's uh biting children's throats out um, yeah yeah valuing women as commodities like it, it's wild it's absolutely fucking wild yeah i love the surrealism uh 
Me too. It was used in just the right amount where it's it's a very grounded story for the most part, but then there's an occasional bit of like Odin shows up or there's a Valkyrie and Yeah. She, she doesn't have braces, but it looks like she has braces, so I had to learn why it looks that way and I Are teeth tattoos? Uh carvings, I guess. Uh, oh. these yeah, yeah, they carve notches into their teeth sometimes, I guess. But that's fucking insane. That's insane. This movie, like you said, embraces that mythology though, and that mm-hmm. that level of fantasy, because this is a high fantasy movie. Yeah. The same way like Conan the Barbarian was. There were witches and warlocks and shit in it. Mm-hmm. But this movie like draws absolutely no distinction between the mythological fantastic elements and the reality and treats both of them and the realm of like the Viking sagas as this like living, breathing truth, you know, like it's equally grounded in the inconceivable as it is a historically plausible, you know what I mean? Um, the, uh, the most recent movie that kind of reminds me of it is uh, the green Knight with the, the way it blends fantasy and uh, realism. Uh, yeah, this and is also, more so I think, but it, it, Green Knight also is um like post Game of Thrones. You would think that there would be more R-rated fantasy, and there would be a market for R-rated, like medieval historical fantasy stuff. Oh, yeah, um, but we haven't seen like any of it cinematically, with the exception of the Northmen and the Green Knight and. Yeah. How did they do financially? Okay, so this movie, <laughs> I, and I feel Maybe truly not as much market as we suspected, but yeah, I feel truly blessed uh, to live in a world where anyone would dare finance a ninety million dollar Viking uh, fantasy epic based on a Norse saga that inspired Hamlet. That's directed by Robert Eggers, whose previous two films, The Vavitch and The Lighthouse, uh, had seemingly no interest in making anyone a single dime um (laughs) this movie made like 20 million dollars domestically based off of a 90 million dollar budget that doesn't include the marketing budget that Um, usually doubles the so about 180 million yeah yeah and and like living in new york and and the new york state new york city like tri-state kind of metropolitan area there were a lot of like northman ads on like buses and subways and stuff it was wild like everywhere i was going i was seeing (laughs) posters for the new movie from the guy who made the lighthouse you know um it is so wild this movie travis features he witches bjork as an immortal ukrainian truth sayer thing undead zombie warriors ominous mystical ravens a full-on berserker raid with uh, muscly hunky dudes biting helpless villagers, women and children included, throats out in a Taylor Joy's butt. And um, <laughs> patron saint of the podcast, Willem Dafoe, smelling the farts of a child who happens to be tripping balls with Ethan Hawke while howling like a dog. Um, it's yes. incredible. It's incredible. It, Like you said, it's an art house blockbuster. It can be treated as both high art and absolute sheer pulp it can be there's something for everyone in this thing i i feel uh yeah truly like we've said it on the show before 
Um, cause I love Paul Verhoeven, right. And movies like RoboCop and total recall and, and starship troopers. Those are the kind of movies that hit hard for the dumbest guy in a room and the smartest guy in the room equally mm-hmm. well on different levels. And I think the Northman does the same in a lot of ways where this thing could be treated as like, again, like actual highbrow art and also the thing that some stoner dude who listens to a lot of iron maiden would paint on the side of their van you know (laughs) indeed indeed yeah um one of the reasons i don't think this movie did very well is how completely unrelatable these characters are and i think it's very noble that robert eggers just like refuse to ground any of their motivations with anything that a person living in the year of 2022 would like yeah think about at all the closest thing is that the main character doesn't rape anyone i I don't recall so no that's a win i guess that's a win and he doesn't want to kiss his mom which is like another thing yeah yeah if he would have that would have recapped into that game of thrones market that was a mistake yeah yeah especially your mom looks like nicole kidman like judging on my like i would think it would be a normal thing not to want to consume incest but then like i go on Pornhub and i'm like oh maybe people more people like like this than i thought 40 percent of it Uh, yeah 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 i guess it's like they're his stepmom not his real mom so (laughs) like is it okay if they're in the laundry room is it like all right i don't know i don't know it's uh uh yeah it's wild yeah these people in this movies in this movie are both human beings and aliens you know what i mean (laughs) like their perspective and their worldview is so single-minded and nuts and i kind of dig that it's like vengeance what's that movie about vengeance like Mm -hmm. what does he say uh i will I will save you, mother. I will avenge you, father. I will kill Fjordner or whatever. Yeah, his it's his mantra throughout most of the film. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 kind of a slick one take award uh, would go to one of the sequences in this after he like escapes as a child and he's like rowing away. There is this like shot in this film where you see this very historically accurate Viking longboat like going mm-hmm. down a river. And the camera somehow like comes out of these pastures over the river and then into the the Viking longship while he's rowing and then like turns around, shows a guy get shot with bows and arrows. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know how they did that. I don't know how they did that. Um, Michael Bay would have done it with an FPV drone, but I doubt Robert Eggers had FPV drones. I I assume Robert Eggers makes his cameras out of like wood and scraps. You know? What yes, I mean? yes. Two yeah. ravens carried the camera. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Raven cam. It by the husk. Yes. <laughs> Raven cam. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. Um, yeah. So my number two as well is Robert Eggers, the Northman. This guy, three for three, knocking him out of the fucking park. Um, where does this rank in your what is your Robert Eggers ranking I'll ask Okay, I'll this, go first if you don't have yours ready oh well I do I do okay I, good, I good, say, good this is my number two Lighthouse is three which is number one for me I uh okay I related to that one because of the religious trauma and uh, <laughs> psychotic nature of that uh, okay okay 
I think this is my least favorite Edgar's movie. It's which it's still like a five out of five. This is my most watched movie other than Michael Mann's Miami Vice um, mm. for the year of 2022. I also bought like a row machine that I set up in my room. I watched this movie five times this year and two of the viewings were like on a television in my bedroom while I was just like working my back out exclusively, you know, cause I'm like, I'm, I'm six foot three. If I had like a huge back and big shoulders, I could start walking like a bear. Um, <laughs> so like all these movies are five out of fives for me. Yeah. Uh, the Northman though is number three. Um, the Vavitch is number two. That's a movie I go back to a lot because it's, it's breezy. It's, it, yes. it's not breezy. It's, it's a hard watch, but well, it's, it's short. It's, it's like 90 minutes long. Yeah, I yeah. want to say I don't recall how long the lighthouse is, but I think all these movies are. Yeah, all nice. of them are brief. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's a certain art to that. And if they were any a longer, <laughs> oh, some would say a lost art. Yeah, yeah. Not a not a Andy Circus who directed Venom. Let there be carnage. Uh, <laughs> that, that was a breezy ninety. Um, That's why they just keep doing these long movies. They just don't do well in cinema. So people, uh, it's like that people want the long ones. It's. Yeah, but the the Northman kind of proves that wrong. <laughs> the Northman <laughs> was only like a hundred minutes long. <laughs> um, the lighthouse is on like a kind of like another plateau where it's like that's like the sacred cow of a movie. You know, that's my light at the top of the the lighthouse. Yeah, yeah. Where um, as uh, as someone who spends a lot of time obsessing over individual things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent an entire like six months stuck in my house because New York was so bad with COVID and I have a housemate where we like, we're literally at each other's throats like this, you know, like the guys <laughs> in the lighthouse. Um, that, that's just like this crazy thing. I can't believe that movie exists. You know, it's, it's one of these unreal things. And I find, uh, more and more to it, uh, intellectually, philosophically, entertainment value. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I watch the lighthouse and I fucking cackle like the entire time, all <laughs> of his movies. I kind of laugh a lot watching. Um, I'm not sure if that laugh is just like, Oh my God, I can't believe this is real. And I'm cackling or they're legitimately funny. All three have farts in them though. Yeah. That's kind of what puts uh, lighthouse at, at three for me. The number of parts. I, uh, it's excessive. Um, that is the most fart heavy movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, probably how I rank them then. Yeah. I don't recall any in The Witch. So. Yeah. I'm trying to think. There probably was a fart. They were very smelly people in The Vivitch. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, I like how everyone in The Vivitch looks like a bird person, too, except for Anna <laughs> Taylor Joy. Like yes. the, those, those, those little kids just look like little goblin children. You know what I mean? They are little goblin children. Pretty much. <laughs> By the end, they They're are yeah. assholes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the mom is very, has very bird like features. Uh, she was, uh, in Game of Thrones, uh, Catelyn Stark's sister, uh, Kate Dickey's yeah. sister is his name. Uh, of the veil of the veil. Lady yes. of the veil. Little finger pushes her out the, uh, the, the moon, moon door. door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, she was in um, our precious uh, Prometheus for a little while too. Another movie Stress. filled with a lot of bird-faced goblin people um, and Idris Elba. Um, <laughs> um, have you ever read the screenplay? I 
I, no. have you ever seen the screenplay for the lighthouse have you ever just like glanced at it no i have not i okay. <laughs> i'm kind of curious to know if it's loosely based on uh, some random missing people or whatever in the lighthouse because there are like two other lighthouse movies with a very similar plot to this but yeah i haven't watched them today like compare and contrast or whatever but well that's kind of like a. I mean, you talk about the Northmen. There's like a million movies with the same plot as the Northmen, like Hamlet, yeah, the yeah. Lion King. Well, this King, was like, like two uh, lighthouse keepers go missing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go yeah. mad and eat each other. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there is an entire page of the screenplay for the Lighthouse where it's like Rob Pattinson's character says what, Willem Dafoe's character says what. <laughs> the Rob Pattinson, it's just like what, 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 and it fills up like an entire page. <laughs> it's so funny. Like I could just imagine those guys getting this and just being like, "All right, like you know, yeah, like yeah. there's spooky farts just in there, you know." <laughs> we did get a uh, why'd you spill the beans though. Yeah, yeah. From, uh, which is a gold mine to just ask people all the time why'd you spill the beans mm-hmm. um all right so travis this is the grand finale the oh, i still got uh oh wait no you i'm so sorry i'm yeah, so yeah, sorry yeah. you still got your number two pick my friend i do indeed. i'd be very rude very rude very no, rude. no it's easy to easy to happen very my rude. number two is pearl uh the prequel to West X, a movie that kind of has an interesting history with him making it with excess funds. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very uh very fucking cool, really. Um, I like this one much more than X. X is decent. Pearl kind of wins me over at about forty five minutes in or something along those lines yeah. with this one fucking monologue. Takes the movie from, uh, oh, this is pretty okay. I like the the broad daylight horror of it. Uh, but yeah, this fucking monologue. This uncomfortable, uncomfortable monologue where someone is just being held hostage by it. And Yeah, it, it turns into a hostage situation. She is like, no, I'll listen to you for a couple minutes. Tell me, tell me. And she's like, are you sure you want to know? Because it's going to get real dark. <laughs> it's like, how dark can it get? And then yeah, it's just like just, 10 minutes later, it's like, oh thing. my God, this yeah, yeah. freak. Yeah. I'm going um, to die, is what she's realizing while this monologue healing on. And- yeah, this person's going to eat me and feed me to a crocodile thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, X also came out this year. Kind of interesting. Um uh, that Ty West had both of these films. And I was kind of hoping the third one would have made it out this year too. But God, that would have been cool. Imagine it just got released like 15 minutes ago and we didn't realize. Yeah. It yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That would be so cool. <laughs> um, But you mentioned it was filmed on excess funds. Ty West did X intentionally came in under budget and snuck this one in with limited cast, having Mia Goff, uh, goth right return yes, as yes. um yeah to portray the woman who she plays with old age makeup in x the uh granny killer lady who's so horny she can't fuck and she kills all these people that's what x is about yeah. that old lady who i don't know horny. how well this really ties in as a prequel to x like it it can be viewed standalone and knowing that Pearl is a villain or whatever, it doesn't really affect my enjoyment of either film. Uh, no, not yeah. at all. Not at all. 
But um, a lot of the cast in Pearl are actually like crew members. Like I think I told you the German mother who does a really good job in Pearl um, was the they movies with like a lot of sex and pornography and nudity and stuff like that have to have a like sex expert. And like, I think it's called an intimacy counselor. Yes. Intimacy coordinator. Yes. Intimacy. Yeah. And, and that was the intimacy coordinator. She had never acted before or anything like that, but she was just this like freaky German lady. You know what I mean? They're like, all right, get this mistress in here. You know, um, I was, this might be the most surprising movie of the year for me where I went into this, I haven't seen X. I love a 24 horror movies. Um, you know, I don't like that elevated horror term that uh, <laughs> I've invented for no reason that people use all the time on the internet now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it, it just means movies that are good that most horror fans hate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actual movies that are horror movies as yeah, opposed yeah, to yeah. trash. Yeah. And uh, like one of my issues with it, the elevated label is that it is kind of snobby but then we describe it in that way and it's also snobby i guess but uh yeah it's a good movie and i don't know um but x was not an elevated a24 horror movie it was kind of like their kind of snuffy yes yeah yeah i don't say about retro because it's uh, more excessive than a lot of retro horror uh Mm -hmm. smuttier uh, by far than most yeah, yeah, yeah almost all it, really. I, yeah, a little bit more lowbrow than the majority of the A twenty four horror films. Yeah, I, I did not go into Pearl thinking that it would owe more to John Waters than and Wizard of Oz than anything else. You know uh, what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. This was like a real like. I'm sure it was shot digitally, but there was this like kind of beautiful Technicolor look to the color correction mm-hmm. and. Is an important scarecrow in the plot, and it's... yeah, that she she humps and then says, "How dare you? How rude!" or something <laughs> like that. She like fucking dry humps it, like gets it's... off, and then says, "Like how rude!" or something. Yeah, I wasn't expecting the lead performance to be quite so strong either. Like one of my favorites of the year for sure. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah, what a what a fucking kind of curveball to to come out this year and just be as good as it as it is so much better than x in every conceivable way yeah in my opinion it is you know? it's a bonus film but it's the good one or the better one rather yeah good, but yeah that's great yeah yeah and i liked i've always liked ty west but i've always kind of liked him again i say this kind of often on the show like i like him more in theory than um <laughs> than in than an execution you know what i mean like i like house of the devil and and the innkeepers because they are these kind of like vintagey throwbacks and i think he does that better than almost anyone who does that kind of stuff uh but they never like delivered on how good they could be like but Just, that, that glimmer was always there yeah you know? house of the devil has a great build up of tension and then it just doesn't pay off in any way for me that is satisfying Innkeepers, I like, I don't recall how it ends, but it's just like talking a lot, and I Mm -hmm. I like it. Yeah, same here. This is by far my favorite of his of his work so far, though. Same. I didn't see the sacrament, so I can't comment on that one. Yeah. 
Oh, Sacrament's good. Sacrament is good. I know what you told me it is. You, like, it being, you know, like a, a pastiche of uh, Jonestown or something that kind of prevented me from uh, checking it out. Yeah, and it being um, found footage was a thing that, like, turned me oh, off. that was where, the other like, thing, yeah. Yeah, it's stuff that I've just been there, done that kind of shit, you know what I mean? Um, the novelty but, is worn thin. Yeah, but one of the reasons why I feel like it always, like you mentioned, the novelty. It always feels like a novelty and often feels like a convenience. Like, why would someone be holding a camera this entire time? This doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, the best of the found footage is when there's purpose to why the camera would be held. The Blair Witch Projects of the world. The, I, uh, would, I would disagree. I think Frankenstein's army is the yeah, best, yeah. and it makes no sense. It relies just on really cool creatures. But yeah. Yep. Lots of wet puppets in that movie. <laughs> Lots of wet puppets. Uh, um, but uh, Sacrament has a good storytelling implementation of why someone would be holding a camera the entire time in a very smart way where I was like, oh, this is clever and this makes sense. And I like Jonestown stuff and I thought it was cool. Yeah. Uh, Travis, the grand finale here. <laughs> the winner of the inaugural Beyonder Award for best picture, we I'm really shocked that we both have the same film here at number one, dude. I I was not expecting this, and I don't think either of us were expecting this when no. we went into this film. Even when before I finished, we like for about a week after, like just sitting at number two or three in my top five, like mentally uh figuring things up, but it's kind of just stuck with me and yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a movie that really simmered nicely. Um, neither of us got to see it in theaters. I think you watched it before I did and sent me the text saying, I really like this as I was about to start it. And I was like, oh, good. Travis really liked this. And mm-hmm. um, it's from a very acclaimed filmmaker and writer um, whose work I was mixed on his last film. It's not necessarily like... One? All right, let's give away the name. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The of the winner of Inishirin. Inishirin. The Banshees of Inishirin, directed by Irish, I think Nobel Prize winning playwright, Academy Award winner <laughs> Martin McDonough, whose previous film, uh, Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was not like the biggest fan of, although I do think it's a good movie. I think it's. I was confused when I saw that movie. I was very mixed on like what it was trying to say, who the good guys were, who the bad guys were. But then I was watching this movie and I'm thinking some of the appeal of a lot of his work is that everyone can relate to someone in his movies, even when you don't want to, like even the guys (laughs) who are making bad decisions or have horrible worldviews or like people are complicated and think complicated things for complicated reasons and are products of their environment and escaping those environments is more difficult than you give a lot of these actors in these movies credit for Like you so often are like, it was so bad there. Why don't you move? It's like, cause packing up and leaving everything is really fucking hard. And like, you feel stuck in a lot of places. Yes. This is definitely a movie about being stuck somewhere. You know what I mean? Uh, concept of, Oh my God. Yeah. 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 Um, there are several characters to kind of relate to that are all interesting. It's a, a sad, dark movie, but it's also 
very funny at times. Like, yeah, this movie made me laugh more than any other this year, probably. And uh, just really solid performances from uh, Colin Farrell and uh, Brendan Gleeson, uh, who were good friends <laughs> at the beginning. And it's about their uh, drifting apart for various reasons. And they're on this uh, fictionalized um, Irish Isle, right, mm-hmm. uh, in a that is so isolated from the rest of civilization and their country that while they have like, you know, they have all the culture of their country and everything like that, they are countrymen. There's a literal civil war happening and they could hear it and kind of see it, but they have no idea what it's about or why anyone's doing that. And they could care less. Like it really doesn't have an impact on their day to day life. They just see people dying on the mainland (laughs) sometimes. Yeah. And, um, what's his name? Donald Gleason, not Donald Gleason, Donald Gleason's father. What the hell's the name of this guy? (laughs) I'm so sorry. I think I may have said that too. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Donald Gleason is, uh, Admiral Hux, right? And um, oh, that's yeah. his son. Yeah, yeah, that's his son. I didn't make that connection. I know. Fucking nepotism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> they're deserved. They're both good. Yeah, so Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell are the inhabitants of this fictitious Irish Isle. Brendan Gleeson being this kind of older of the two, but. <laughs> They're products of routine, right? Mm-hmm. I think they don't say like what Brendel Gleason's job is, but I think Colin Farrell's like a cow farmer or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, he's a farmer. Yeah, Colin is. Yeah. And, you know, very simple lives. Farm. I think, it, I think the entire island pretty much farms or is like a shopkeeper or a cop. <laughs> yeah, a cop or a pastor. Yeah. Yes. You, you grow food. You herd animals, you own somewhere where those people spend their money, which they regurgitate back into the society to buy that food. They're probably cycling the same coins back and forth to each other yeah, yeah. all day and all night. Um, but as God, I keep calling him Dom Hole, as Brendan Gleason's <laughs> character is getting older, one day he just decides, I don't want to be friends with you. And that's where this movie starts off. And it's him ignoring him, him not wanting to be friends with him anymore, and Colin Farrell not understanding why. And Mm -hmm. this is a movie about being lonely. This is a movie about getting older. And kind of going back to my point with uh, all of um, McDonough's movies and how sometimes they don't resonate with me or I don't want them to resonate with me where I'm like, God, this guy, like Sam Rockwell's character is fucking despicable. Woody Harrelson's character is like despicable in um, mm-hmm. the three billboards movie. Everyone in seven psychopaths and in Bruges is like despicable. Um, but like there are instances where no matter how much like companionship or something you get from someone who you might consider close you have to let go of things eventually if they're not good for you right yes yes there's also kind of a bit about finding a proper work and art passion kind of thing where purpose purpose yes yes Vernon Gleason is very concerned with the legacy he's going to leave and he feels like this friendship is a waste of time uh and ah it's it's interesting and I that's 
should be relatable, I think, but most people would. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And there's also a bit that I really enjoyed, and it's kind of an irrational fear that I've thought about a, a fair amount, where uh, Colin Farrell is worried that he may be the town idiot at some point. And that oh, yeah. Then we were just, like, humoring him. And so it's just, how do you know you're the town idiot if you're the town idiot? And... <laughs> Yeah, like the the reason um one of the the big excuse that Gleason's character gives Colin Farrell is because he's dull. And yes. Farrell's big rebuttal is, but I'm nice, right? Which is and, more important, yeah. Uh, yeah. And when I, I we gotta give credit, it's uh what's the name of the actress? Uh Carrie Condon plays Farrell's sister, who he lives yeah. with. Um, she's incredible in this movie. And I and rewatching it uh for a second time today. Um, and having it sit with me since I first watched it a couple of weeks ago, um, there's something to her character where I think that she's so fucking interesting because she's the one who escapes this. Lo- she's the one who yes. like is really able to give up the way Gleason is like, I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. Like, leave me alone. But he's still not able to escape. You no, he's, he's still like giving mixed messages to Colin also throughout the, the movie where he'd help him out on occasion. And it just, mm-hmm. he's not a monster. He's just, he, yeah. he's worried about what comes uh, next. And he's not fully able to let go of something that he knows he should let go of because his ability not to let go is causing literal self mutilation at one point. And he's cutting his fucking hand off. Like, you know what I mean? Um, which is going to deprive him of the only thing that he wants to do with the rest of his life, which is like perform and compose music. And how are you going to compose music without fucking fingers when you're cutting Mm -hmm. them off to prove I want to like, you know, is, and, and yes, yeah, the sister is the is the one who really sat with me today when I rewatched it. And there's a line where <clears throat> Colin Farrell goes back um, and he's like, I'm a good guy, aren't I? And she's like, yeah, you're a great guy. You're really nice. And he's like, I used to think being one of life's good guys was the best thing in the world. And there's nothing worse I could think of being right now. And I was like, ooh, that is heavy. You know what I mean? I used to think being one of life's good guys was a good thing. And now it feels like a fucking curse, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like Gleason, not able to let go. Farrell, not able to let go, despite it eating them alive, you know, like escaping your past, escaping the things that are toxic for you, your inability to do so. Like I was saying before, like leaving home is hard. Like packing up and saying goodbye is tough. Mm-hmm. Um, she is able to leave the island. She leaves for good. And yeah. it's good for her, you know? Like, what was she going to do? Marry fucking the actual town idiot? <laughs> like, that that's Farrell's solution. Is like, everyone yes. thinks I'm an idiot. I'm going to hang out with someone who's so much dumber that's, than me. That kind of highlights the uh, the difficulty in making worthwhile friends as an adult if you don't have your old ones. It's it yeah. be very isolating. It's just you and your, your farm animals. <laughs> yeah, and he does love his farm animals. The, the importance of pets and emotional support animals is also kind of highlighted in this one. 
Uh, yeah, whenever uh, Farrell's very sad, he likes to have his donkey in the house, despite his sister uh, not wanting the donkey in the house. And he gets very upset where he's like, when I'm sad, I like the donkey in the house. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, put the donkey out when I'm sad. I, I don't put the donkey out when I'm sad. And she's like, but yeah. it leaves little strands of shit and little strainy pieces of shit. And he's like, there were no strands in the shit. I looked at that shit. There were no <laughs> strands in that shit. There's that bit in the, the confession scene with Brendan Gleason's uh, oh stuff where fucking he kind of just has it out with this priest. And, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. I This is a lot to like about this one. She mentioned that Barry Keegan's in this as the, uh, the town idiot, uh, kind of, and he's terrific, kind of, as that role. Uh, yeah, and, and much like how I watched it the first time, and obviously I... I got a lot from Farrell and Gleason who are the the stars of this thing. But mm -hmm. I, a couple days later, a couple hours later, the sister character was sitting a lot with me uh, after watching it today, like this evening when I was eating, like Keegan's character sat with me a lot too, because everyone in this movie is not only lonely, but again, like, escaping the things that are noticeably and obviously toxic for you and bad for you is like a big thing in this. And he's got this abusive father in yes. this thing. No one likes him. No one treats him seriously. Um, and he stays on the Island to the point where like he dies, like it kills him. It literally kills him. He's one of the, one of the victims in this film. Yeah. And, what kills him is his inability to grow his inability to see right in front of his face what is going on that isn't right that i should be escaping and it's your own fucking life and and you being this little pathetic thing like grow up change get some new friends move on like moving on is so much fucking harder and sometimes will be more comfortably more comfortable as humans self-destructing than admitting sometimes i need to leave you know what i mean sometimes i just need to let go um yeah and and there's also this um kind of battle like you were mentioning like gleason obviously is the more intellectually superior yes. of the two but is being intellectually superior everything like does that matter because with despair because of it <laughs> probably <laughs> It's destroying him. It's causing him to destroy himself. Um, while everyone knows, like, yeah, Podrick, um, Farrell's character is kind of a dullard and an idiot, but like, <laughs> you're also kind of an asshole. Like, he gets into a fight with the priest. Like, no one ends up liking him at the end. He's by himself. They're both alone at the end mm -hmm. of this thing. Um, it's this. There's so much here, and again, much like you can see something as the smartest guy in the room and the dumbest guy in the room yeah, yeah. um this movie's very very funny um the dialogue also just uh there's just so much there uh not so just, much snap the way it's written the accents are funny also and the, the little phrases that are alien to me or very amusing like the gilly gooly i yeah i don't yeah. know what the fuck that is but i want to use it in everyday conversation now they keep saying a thing like um are you having a tiff 
Or are you having uh, an hour? Are you rowing? Are you <laughs> rowing? I don't know. Are we rowing? Like, you know, I didn't like we're think... rowing. And I yeah, that one I was able to discern because it's really fighting. And yeah. uh, I've, I've seen it written also in the past, but I didn't realize it was pronounced like that. It may not be anywhere else but Ireland, but. Yeah. I didn't think we were rowing. Sure, it looks like you're rowing. It does look like we're rowing. Um, that's that's kind of stuff that was so. Um, I, I really like the Coen brothers as writers, you know, and I love the Coen brothers kind of snap and wit to their dialogue. And, um, you know, movies uh, like True Grit's a good example of like a period piece kind of thing that the Coens did, where it's like so full of those little things that they're able to make funny because they're they're so foreign to you and I. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, every time someone said "fook" in this, I was just oh, I was, it. yeah, ficking. <laughs> Are you ficking? Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. It's probably the most used uh, word in the entire fucking thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. This, but. Again, this is a very silly movie, very silly movie that is so dense. Like, mm-hmm. did you think about how this movie's could be a statement against war and police brutality and <laughs> the merits and and def- and and also detriment of remaining neutral? to those things. You know what I mean? Standing by and just letting mm-hmm. them happen. Like they let Barry Keegan get the shit beat out of them by this cop and they put up with this police brutality because like, yeah. that's just the way it is. It's how it's that fucking guy is. Dead. He can beat him if he wants to. Uh, and mm-hmm. then, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's cool that the cop just whacks me in the face for no reason. And you know, is an <laughs> asshole, you know, like that kind of like complacency that they have towards that. And like, and mm-hmm. also war, like just going on, like they're just, they're just passively like, yep, that's, there's That's one where the cop talks about going over and getting paid to take part in an execution of either the IRA guys or the, the free state uh, memory serves. And yeah, he doesn't even know which one it is and he doesn't care because he's getting paid. Yeah. That, uh, I mean, that's stuff I didn't even think about on my first viewing. And I was like, is this movie making fun of pacifism? Like, you know what I mean? Like, because <laughs> it kind of is, it seems like it is, you know, um, really I hate to use the term and sound pretentious, but really rich text here. And yeah, yeah, that's kind of what that sort of thing is what made this movie my number one is that uh, days after I was still thinking about it and wanted to rewatch it, even though it doesn't have the things that usually make me like movies, which are cheap thrills. So like even yeah. though there's like a maiming, it's not gratuitous. They, <laughs> they barely show it. It's mainly the aftermath. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I should also state like there's another character in this film and her purpose, all of her purpose. I obviously won't know it. Um, I haven't really like grasped fully, but there's this woman named Mrs. McCormick who is kind of like the town (laughs) soothsayer, witch thing, right? She's the the banshee. Uh, she uh, cries out before someone dies kind of, Mm -hmm. uh, that's my understanding of what the Banshee is in mythology, if memory serves from childhood. I mean, that's what Banshee does in the X-Men, so I, I understand. <laughs> you know Thunderbird? No. no, I'm talking about Banshee, the Irish no, guy. No, who I mean, the, he cries and then Thunderbird dies. For yeah, oh, that is true. That is true. Yeah, yeah. And he he was Irish, right? He was Irish. Um, But, but she, in the beginning of the film, like an old 
crow kind of says like there'll be two deaths like you know like and and that's like kind of these tropes and you know think i last year one of the films i really liked was uh joel cohen's Macbeth and the adaptation of it but like you know the three witches the old hag you know mm-hmm. the the soothsayer there's a lot of that in like shakespeare and these kind of like classic tales this has that this has like the makings of this like it felt like a play it felt like literature you yes. know what i mean um in in a way that a, a film really hasn't in in a very long time there's so much to digest and again this is um rewashable in a way that um a lot of films aren't there aren't many cheap thrills the majority of this movie is just dialogue snapping back and forth <laughs> beautiful photography and music yes yes mm-hmm. yeah um and, it and feels so- strange that it is a real place in that first uh, establishing shot with all the, the farmlands divided up uh, off with the cliffside into the, uh, the ocean. It's yeah. fucking Yeah, wild. it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. That's where the porgs live, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Right? Isn't, wasn't Ock 2 one of these islands, right? Yeah. Oh. Friend of the podcast, uh, Ryan Johnson had found. I swear to God that <laughs> that that Octu was filmed on one of these one of these little islands, and that the it only reason, me. yeah, the only reason he created the Porgs is because there's these little things called like puffins that like migrate there, and yeah, they yeah, like yeah, couldn't get rid of them. Rid of them. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So they just like CGI'd them into these little adorable uh puppets that my mom buys me a lot of even though i'm like it's not baby yoda mom just because it's cute and it's star wars doesn't mean i'm gonna love it um yeah i fucking adored this movie and it's the one that sat with me um the heaviest i won't say the longest because you know the northman was so long ago at this point it feels like a century ago you know um but but it is by far the one that sat with me um Sat with me the longest. So Banshees of Irishiran, congratulations on being the winner of the inaugural Beyonders Best Picture category. Um, now that we've talked about all the good things, Travis, I think it's time to reflect on uh, some of the stinkers uh, that have come out this year with our our worst films of the year, aka the Beyonder Award for biggest stinker. Um, you go first on this one. Okay, I I'm going to pick an indie uh, film at first because I like punching down. I guess as the kids say. Okay, uh, okay. It's this movie called Soft and Quiet. I uh, it has an interesting premise uh, with this group of women who happen to be kind of Nazis, but they're <laughs> unassuming. One of them is like a school teacher, and in the beginning, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of subtle how. Um, they're being awful, but and they make a point of saying that we're going to be soft and quiet, so we can be uh, the secret face of this fucking racist movement or whatever. And then the Quite movie just becomes dumb. loud and dumb. And they it it was just uh, frustrating because that's kind of an interesting premise. Like not all racist people are idiots; they just happen to be racist. Uh, uh, Singh could have told an interesting story about subtle racism, and they decided yeah. to not do that. And uh, yeah. especially like in this time, the mm-hmm. idea of that 
that soft and quiet under the radar hatred is something it, that like you see in a lot of political parties or at least one of them I can think you, of you see it all over the United States of America and the world yeah. and now that it's kind of like I don't want to say like rampant but it is vocalized more with um certain uh demigorgs that uh became the president of the United States oh, yeah. and, well, they just um, have just enough plausible deniability they didn't really mean anything racist by whatever horrible thing they said mm-hmm. or did yeah yeah, until that musical artist that you really, really liked your whole life just straight up says he liked Hitler for some reason recently. Um, but yeah, no, that there's something really poignant there to do, and you just sidebar to... To do it like sh- a, a shitty home invasion movie. That, lame. Yeah, yeah, it's just... It's pretty much the, uh, the grocery store scene in American History X, and then it ends, and... Uh... Not great. Lame. Not great. Uh, Lame. What's my my uh my biggest stinker award this year goes to a film that I started and was excited for for multiple reasons. Um, that I thought was gonna be a surefire win. Right, it mm. had everything going for it from the filmmaker to the material, to the cast, to the cinematography, everything going for it. And then I watched Blonde, directed by Andrew Dominic, starring <laughs> the amazing Anna de Armos, um, and not even Anna de Armos's uh, exquisite naked body could save me from this movie. Um, unfortunately, if you tried to masturbate to this, there would be something very, very wrong with you. Um I like Andrew Dominic films. We just both watched uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Yes, love rewatched. It. Love it. Love that movie. Great movie. I love Chopper. I like all these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that filmmaker. I like how all of his films are meditative and looking back at the past, and and they feel like like they're almost like the reflection through the mirror darkly kind of to use like a biblical, you know what I mean? Like all of his films feel like, um, you know, you're looking at the movie almost through like a dirty mirror or the reflection off a pond or something like that, like pondering what it is supposed to be. Uh, Blonde is not an exception to that, but it does it in the most mean spirited, cruel way. Um, Having maybe a woman in the writer's room might've helped a little bit with this a lot of the mean decisions come from again, like I get that Marilyn Monroe was this tortured person who was abused and, and taken advantage of and manipulated and like just was exploding inside, you know, like absolutely exploding inside, like came from this terrible broken place was thrown into a giant system made the biggest star, put on the biggest pedestal of the world, and was just taken advantage of, taken advantage of, taken advantage of until she died. Very young, very tragically. Sad story. This movie is just so fucking mean about it and almost, like, doesn't take her side. (laughs) Um, Which Uh, is, you know what I mean? Um, It almost, like, blames her and, like, kind of slut shames her and... 
like there's a scene where it shows her like it's like a montage of her getting like fucked by greasy old guys in like boardrooms and then like going to abortion clinics and having abortions and then dropping into like garbage bales. And then you get like CGI'd clumpy abortion fetuses like telling her like, I miss you, mommy. I love you, mommy. Every single male in the movie, she calls daddy in like the most unhot way imaginable. Um, And then after seeing the abortion thing and the stuff that happened between her and her daddy and her constantly getting raped over and over and over and over again, her saying it is just like, it's just, it makes you like sink under your skin and just be like, Um, beautifully shot. It shouldn't have been uh, as much. uh, Yeah. Like a sad ending. In the wrong way. It just like in the wrong way. Like if you're going to tell a tragic tale, like take a stance and and like and and just take the right fucking stance and have a purpose if you're going to take the wrong stance like have a purpose if you're going to take the wrong stance that isn't i want to make you feel like shit or i want everyone to feel like shit cuz that's all this fucking movie did um there's a lot of dna to david lynch and and the filmmaking of david lynch particularly um eraser head and, and like lost highway you know and not lost highway i'm sorry um inland empire like there's a lot of that uh kind of surrealism to it um uh, one segment i will say implements it very well um and it's like her having a nervous breakdown and it's visualized by her being in this full dress and everything um and everything around her is like literally on fire and it's her just kind of like casually walking and like spacing out while the room is literally on fire. And I was like, that's probably the best visual representation of what it feels like to have a nervous breakdown in public actually is, you know, as someone who's had like complete nervous breakdowns, like where I've had to like go to a hospital, like in public, that's how I felt like everything around me was just exploding. Um, But it all just, like the the Lynchian aspects and the surrealism, it just rang so hollow, so mean spirited, and so cruel. And I think Anna De Armos thought this was going to be her ticket to esteem in a lot of ways, where this was her Oscar bait in a lot of ways, where it's yeah. like you are the hottest young actress in the fucking world right now. Everyone wants to fuck you. Everyone wants you in their movies. Everyone wants you on the cover of their magazine. You are it right now. Play Marilyn Monroe, right? Mm-hmm. Home fucking run if I was her agent. Ugh. And then this, and then it's this, you know, yeah. and then it's this. Um, my runner up is totally different though. Uh <laughs> What made me feel equally uh, suicidal. Um, Robert Zemeckis's straight to Disney plus pseudo live action, but it's really CGI. It's animation, but it's kind of live action uh, rendition of the Disney Pinocchio story. Um, One of two Pinocchio movies that came out this year. One of 75 that have come out since uh, people started having cameras which is crazy. Some people have made that, more than one. Does that What's include that? Pinocchio 916? Uh, yeah. Th- yes. It's that, that about yeah. the uh, the sex robot that uh, 
Escapes. The, the Japanese sex robot, the Tietzo, the Iron Man. Oh, good, you're familiar. Uh, oh, yeah, I love the alternative title for that one, which is Screams of Blasphemy. It sounds yeah. like an awesome yeah. album. Yeah, that does sound awesome. <laughs> uh, should we cover that one on the show? Uh, while there's no, no. no. There's, how would you even cover that? It's all... It's like I almost started it the other day, but it was like four (laughs) hours long. And I was like, I cannot do this for like four hours. Maybe TSO the Iron Man someday, though. Maybe. (laughs) Never say never. You Mm -hmm. know, we've done Cronenberg Jr. on the show. Uh, And and, uh, there's a lot of DNA to Teton with TSO the Iron Man because people fuck machines and shit but um of course of course <laughs> yeah like like real cinema um robert zemeckis's pinocchio was the opposite of real cinema it is the most shallow selfless like cash grab that i've probably <laughs> ever seen in my entire life where there is nothing artistically or entertainingly of value in this film at all it is absolutely made for like dullards lowest common denominator bullshit it is lowest common denominator fucking trash where this movie doesn't dullards do you mean children they're not quite as intelligent as adults is it (laughs) i think if i was a child and this movie came out i would realize there's an there's another pinocchio and this one sucks and that one's okay why does i would think why (laughs) does this movie exist why does this do anything at all um it sucks because like zemeckis is a guy i like kind of like because um i like uh obviously like back to the future all that shit um but I also really like like Death Becomes Her and stuff, okay. but, yeah. you know, but he does all these. He's one of those like motion capture guys who's not Big Jim and James Cameron who like <laughs> waited for the technology to catch up to make Polar Express. He's just like, I'm going to do it now with what I got, you know, and it's just like nightmare fuel or that mm-hmm. Jim Carrey Christmas Carol where you're like, why? Um, this movie is fucking garbage and should not exist has no purpose there's no purpose other than make a quick buck and remind people that there's probably a ride or a dvd or another thing called pinocchio it's just like it only exists to remind you of something that's so much significantly better doesn't want to add anything to the table i mean even like that fucking bullshit lion king thing at least that added like technological yes. whatever to the table. Wonder right? or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, like oh my describing this makes it sound like it's the uh the the blockbuster equivalent of uh transmorphers or something where it's trying to trick grandparents into buying the wrong movie for their kid on a a hundred percent. Or like a little kid is like I don't want to watch that movie because that movie's old. So let's watch this new movie and Disney's sitting there on a pile of money saying like, yes, yes, I tricked <laughs> you again. Like come and buy the same bullshit. We're going to regurgitate it till the end of time. And it's going to be the exact fucking same, same. thing. Yeah, yeah. By far the most shallow fucking movie I possibly have ever seen. Um, everyone. It does give us the line where Geppetto says, Oh, Pinocchio, played by Tom Hanks, by the way, and who's had two big 
like why is Tom Hanks here this year? One is Pinocchio. He plays Geppetto. And two, he was in Elvis and he was gives like a career worst performance under pounds and pounds and pounds of crazy old man prosthetic makeup that make yeah like like bad prosthetic crazy makeup um where like the whole i don't know if you've seen elvis but like the whole movie he's like elvis was the showman and i was the snowman the snowman oh it makes it snow he says this like over and over and over again where you're like why is this happening um geppetto Played by Tom Hanks says, Oh, Pinocchio, holy smokio, at one point. That's some of the new quirky stuff they added to make ah. it hit for the kids these days. Makes Pinocchio. me see that Venom soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The symbioto loco for that symbioto. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, this movie could have used an original song by um <clears throat> by Eminem. I probably would have at least been like, Oh, <laughs> at least that's different, you know? Yeah. Um everyone in this movie is just like doing exactly what the original movie did except for some reason jason gordon levitt plays jiminy cricket and just talks like jason gordon levitt and it's so weird it's so weird he pulls out this little thing from his pocket and says only i know the specific weight of this loaded die um Jesus. Uh, <laughs> you have any runners up for the stinker of the year award? No, well, I mean, there's like stuff like Black Adam and Halloween ends for me, but I don't really care enough about those to. Uh, there's less potential there for enjoyment to begin with, I think. Yeah, Halloween ends is an interesting and divisive one for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't fault anyone for liking it, but I definitely side more with the people that hated it. I thought it was a good looking movie, you know? It's not bad. It's not bad on that front. No. And again, like all the stuff that you're looking at, it's no. Yeah. That's a weird one because like that was pitched as the final battle between Laurie Strodes and Michael Myers, where like much like the torch movie and then they don't pass the torch and it's, I don't know. I don't know. I like that uh, one more than the one where they were chasing a guy who looked like a penguin through the hospital, screaming like Jews will not replace us. Or whatever they're saying, uh, evil dies tonight. Oh, yeah. Evil yeah, dies yeah. tonight. Yeah. yeah, that one was fucking that bit was awful. Just that bit was so weird. That dialogue repetition. Just yeah. Yeah. But at least like they had themes where like all the other Halloween movies were just like <laughs> we're making another Halloween movie, you know? Um that is how they pitch a uh, a new Halloween movie, I believe. Uh, we're yeah. making another one. And yeah. Michael and Myers is gonna be in it. Or maybe he isn't. And, and there'll be knives and stuff and people will get chopped up and it'll be fine. Um This new movie line- has been pretty violent. I'll I'll give it that, but I don't yeah. know. Is that what people want from the Halloween franchise? I am not the biggest fan of it to begin with. I don't really consider the original series to be all that violent. It's mostly implied. Uh-huh. The original film is not violent. The yeah, original yeah. film was not violent. And I kind of hate that Halloween exists as a franchise because I like that original <laughs> film so much. You know, I'm kind of like 
notoriously like anti horror franchises like yes. i see through those that bullshit like i'm not one of those horror fans who's like new halloween i, I go see it and i spend money on it and whatever well, i got like my yeah. but you're not gonna get super excited about the process no i know it's just another fucking thing that they're selling me because i like fucking tits and blood <laughs> like i get it like you know what i like masks and tits and blood and all that shit um it's but true. the original halloween the other Halloween movie, the first Halloween movie is like an exception where it's like, oh, it's a real movie made by a guy with no money who did everything. And it's it's a very unique little thing as opposed to Friday the 13th or Pieces or, you know what I mean, or any of those things. Even though Pieces has that guy with the owl mask and the chainsaw, and that one's pretty cool. Is that Pieces? or No, no that's, that's Stage Fright. Stage Fright, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a cool fucking mask. That's a, I did that's some a cool, cool shots in that too, but I didn't like it overall. Yeah, well, it was it is very Italian stage yes. right. Yes. Yeah. Um that's got a crazy I know you hate the there was a cat there, jump scares. <laughs> that's got like a big one where like some guys in a car and like a cat's in there for some reason and it like jumps out. It's like how the cat get this fucking car, you know? Yeah. Who yeah. leaves their and, cats in a car like that? Yeah, it gets yeah. stuck in. I've yeah. had cats through that. Least stealthy mask outfit and it weapon of all time. it's yeah, yeah. humongous like you look like a giant like owl puppet like it's insane it's mm. absolutely fucking insane um yeah i i do like how the J- the david gordon green movies have like themes where it's like the first one is like grief right and it's like laurie schrode has lived with this grief this entire time and yeah. it's it's been very fucking difficult um and she finally gets her redemption the second one is like um like that like communal trauma you know what i mean where like a whole place feels victimized and then weaponizes that towards the wrong thing which we see a lot of you know that's why i said the jews will not replace us because a bunch of people with fucking tiki torches marching down the street screaming something towards the wrong thing very reminiscent of like the Charleston riots, you know what I mean? Where it's like a bunch of angry people weaponizing their hatred towards the wrong thing. You know, it should have been the billionaire that they were there to support. And and then the third one had a lot of this, um, the way uh, like trauma is almost like inherited. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. you find yourself in these similar circumstances as someone else. And then you adopt those kinds of things. Like with this new guy, being victimized, being shown as a villain, like it's very weird movie. Um, yeah, by the uh, the the band at the high school. Yeah, yeah, very strange. Yeah, grown adult being picked on by high school kids. I guess you know, not even I, the cool kids, but uh, yeah, they were like band geeks. It's very strange. Yeah, but they uh, were violent. And Jamie Lee Curtis, pretty good year for Jamie Lee, right? Pretty yeah. good year for Jamie Lee. Um. So the next uh, Beyonder Award is um, the Wet Puppet Award for Outstanding Achievements in Soaking Wet Puppetry and Stop Motion Animation. Uh, This is an award that we will give out annually in um, Wet Puppetry, the most important and least appreciated aspect of media. Essentially, a wet puppet's an animatronic, a puppet, or an other physical special effect meant to imitate a living being that's basically been spritzed down with a bunch of goo um, <laughs> to give it a kind of jelly effect. 
And yeah. there is a clear winner, kind of like the king of the wet puppet medium in general this year, which is every single moment of Phil Tippett's film, Mad God, a passion project made by. Yes. Yeah, available on Shudder and AMC Plus. Uh, Phil Tippett being special effects and stop motion animator. Um, fucking guy did like fucking star wars you know you see the ATATs walk yeah. robocop jurassic park um he's been making this in his basement for 40 years um there's a lot of puppets it's all puppets and boy are they wet they are <laughs> so gooey and so ooey and um it, it's, it's pretty that it exists even if you don't like it it's kind of thing and even if you don't like it, it's the kind of thing you could like just put on like the tool record that the annoying person <laughs> that, you know, really likes and watch it uh, with the tool music playing in the background. It would, go great with that. Yes. It, would it almost works perfectly with that. Um, really surreal, trippy movie that I wanted to, to kind of throw out there. You yeah, know what I mean? Uh, just because it's what it it's amazing that this thing exists and a single man made it by himself over the course of, um, over the course of 30 years. Um, the, one of the final awards for the evening, the Michael Rooker award for outstanding performance from a wrinkly face character actor. Uh, this is an award for special achievement in an acting performance by a male character actor with a particularly craggly, ugly face, often resembling that of a sausage or a wrinkly potato. Um, for this, I give this to uh, actually, it's kind of a tie here. Brendan Gleason, uh, yeah. co star in Banshees of Ear Sheeran. Guy is a fucking craggly face. Like he is one salty dog in this movie. <laughs> He sure is. He sure is. Both physically and emotionally, salty dog. Mm -hmm. um, you could like sense the salt water in that guy's pores, that having beaten down on him over the years, uh, really deteriorating um, the skin on his face uh, into a pile of uh, goop. Um, the other I, big one. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no. I was going to suggest that uh, a possible uh, reason that. Brendan Gleeson really didn't like Colin Farrell this year was because of uh, Colin Farrell trying to uh, come in on his territory with his Penguin Patrol under so much makeup. Uh, mm -hmm. Are you nominating? No, no. Colin I'm just Farrell saying that maybe the the, uh, the dialogue in Banshees of Insurance was all ad libbed and there was genuine <laughs> dislike between them. Yeah. I've seen you in a fat suit. Yeah, yeah. You're still more handsome than me. You, uh, Richard <laughs> Kind or whatever his name should have been for the fucking penguin. <laughs> um, the other runner-up I have for the Michael Rooker Award for Outstanding Performance from a Wrinkly Face Character Actor um, also goes to an Irishman, and that is Rory Kinnear in the film Men as all the men. Uh <laughs> <laughs> All Alex of them, hey, everyone, no. every single one, including like a little snotty child at one point, <laughs> uh, with a little stinker of a smushy face. Um, I thought he was fantastic in that movie. Uh, Alex Garland, 
is a guy you and I both really like. Um, oh, yeah. I, I think I like, um, what was his second film? Annihilation, a little bit more than you do. Uh, as a movie I go back to often, uh, oh, yeah. partially because I read those books and um, partially just because like, it's it, again, very dense movie where I mm-hmm. kind of, it sits with me else uh. yeah and that that kind of like really nihilistic gloomy stuff is just stuff that like really turns me on and and um and and that kind of science fiction that uh like sci-fi that was written by a guy who you know probably like took a bunch of ass in the woods a lot <laughs> you know what i mean i i like dig that stuff um it reminds me of stalker a bit just uh sure not, yeah yeah just the uh the the weird location that's yeah. Yeah, and and that kind of like the um a lot of stalker with the not only like the the strange location that's mysteriously shifting, you know, yes. like it, it's the shimmer and the zone, kind of similar concepts of otherworldly origin, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Rory Kinnear, uh, very silly looking guy playing a lot of very silly looking guys in yes. a very uh Good strange movie. movie yeah that ends with we almost should have had a uh award for like most graphic birthing sequence but i don't know if they will get something as graphic as men uh in <laughs> any future years uh so i i admitted that category but men ends with a sequence of a man giving birth to another man out of his butthole that then it's almost like one of those like Russian dolls where yes. it's just like butthole baby after butthole baby. <laughs> and like, there's just some things you can't unsee, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's an amazing sequence. Uh, technically everything about it is just really on point. Uh, and somebody's talking about the, uh, the cycles of uh, trauma and abuse and all that. With sure. New, new figures with the same sort of characters. Uh yeah. And um kind of on the topic of men before we get to our final uh award for the evening, Travis, let's talk about some some runner ups for the best of twenty twenty two that didn't make it on either of our top five lists. Um you want to start with one of yours? I know I believe men was on there for you, right? It was indeed. It was indeed. Uh, mm-hmm. It was almost five. Uh, the other one is Chippendale Rescue Ranger, which is a movie that kind of came out of nowhere. I only saw like a few episodes of the show as a kid. This don't really need much of an understanding. It's pretty much a spiritual successor to Who Framed Roger Rabbit and a tribute to animation in general. Like They do a little bit of everything throughout this thing. It It's funny enough. It it's interesting. It's interesting, and to see what they could do with licensed characters. <laughs> yeah, incredible what they could do with licensed characters in that movie. Everyone mm-hmm. from all walks of life. A lot, even like Disney intellectual property popped up in this thing. You yes, know what I mean? yes. Uh, like there's a very sketchy Peter Pan in this thing. <laughs> yeah, there is. <laughs> and I believe uh, the not the cheetah. Um, what's her name? Titania was in it now. What was oh, he? Uh, uh, Tigra from the Tigra. Avengers cartoon in the 90s. Uh, yeah, yeah. Incredible stuff. And a movie I was not. Ex- it, that's the kind of thing where, like, one day, like, 
this didn't make my honorable mentions, but I was like, you should really check out Confess Fletch. Like, I was surprised that a Fletch sequel was pretty good. You know what I mean? I was not expecting you to just be like so gung ho. Like, you should watch Chippendale Rescue Rangers, the movie. It's awesome. And sure enough, I did. It really is. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 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 Just really worth checking out. Mm hmm. One of uh, my honorable mentions that much like men that didn't make the list, because I, I wanted um, science fiction horror to be represented a little bit more on my list because mm-hmm. it's something that both you and I are are pretty passionate about, um, as well as the filmmaker behind this movie and his kind of uh, almost like formal return to the genre that made him, which made it even more exciting, is David Cronenberg's uh, crimes of the future we've yeah, yeah. talked about uh possessor brandon cronenberg's film um on the podcast for one of our little spin-off episodes where we talk about actual movies that we like not just uh <laughs> superhero stuff and star wars stuff um i adore david cronenberg i have this gigantic videodrome poster behind me um i loved seeing this film in theaters and as much as i loved watching it I kind of adored the conversation and thought process I had on the film afterwards as much as I did actually absorbing it uh, while I was on. I think there's a lot that he wanted to say that is kind of muddy, but still kind of there. Um, It's a provoking movie in all the right ways, um, in ways that Cronenberg is capable of doing so much where movies like the fly and videodrome and scanners and stuff like that. Um, and even like his more prestige um, drama stuff um, has something very bold to say. And he's capable of saying it within not only genre confines, but such extreme genre confines. Like mm-hmm. this movie has inner beauty pageants where people cut their bellies open and like show off new organs that they grow. It has Twilight star Kristen Stewart, like getting really, really horny for like internal body parts. It has a child autopsy. Um, Leah Sordu is so hot. And there's like, a scene where she goes down on David Cronenberg um, not, and on uh, Hugo Weaving's like recent dissection scars. Yeah. yeah where she just like kind of sucks off his like uh, surgery scars. Um, and you don't get that every very, day. It's a very deliberate movie. Also, like, there, there one bit in particular where it felt like an imitation of Cronenberg and like two seconds after you thank it, he, calls it out with one he of the characters. Says it. Yeah, he just yeah, says, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just uh he knew what he was doing. I think me and you were this is another one where there aren't a ton of people that like this one as much, but I tell you, uh well worth yeah. the time. I think it kind of like tickles the fancies of things that you and I are particularly interested in too, which is like gross, weird, pervy, sexy stuff. And people but, dress oh, like dark men. Yes. 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 And and people talk like this and whisper really loud. Um, I also really adore like kind of the concept of. Uh, I think this is something that it's something I took from it. The artificiality of our culture what we consume 
and how we're implementing that artificiality, not only into our environment to a negative effect, but also into our own um, appearances and exterior aesthetics to both positive and negative effects where the whole um, concept of like, you know, enhancing yourself surgically uh, it's kind of like I have a friend, a really close friend who loves, she loves getting Botox and like doing herself up. She loves plastic surgery mm-hmm. and it like, I see how it makes her feel and I see how it made her like stronger and like this oddly what I would normally consider like a superficial way. But like, if that's what it takes to get you there, like do it. Like, why would you not do it? If you can afford to do it, it's not going to hurt you. It's not hurting anyone. It's making you feel better. Do it. Uh, I don't care. And this movie does that in like a really interesting way where it like subverts that beauty aesthetic. And people are like supermodels are cutting themselves and adding lumps into their skin, mm-hmm. you know, but then there's also the negative effects of artificiality where we're putting these pollutants and this artificialness into our world and into our environment and that is destroying it while also making us better and we've come to a point where we're evolving to consume that bullshit and consume that you know plastic like people in this movie eat plastic to live yes quite literally eat plastic purple candy bars (laughs) to live um and and have evolved to consume it so like if that is our output onto planet earth, if we are going to destroy planet earth with all this toxic crap that we know is not natural, is that the next stage of evolution where we're going to consume it? And also if we're consuming things that are artificial, is it always negative or is it positive? Like I was saying with my friend who who consumes artificiality for self-benefit already by choice, Uh, is it by choice or is it by nature? Um, and is that nature artificial? Fucking cool. Cronenberg, <laughs> <laughs> you did it again. You know, I like it. I, I dig it. I dig it. Uh, what else do you have on your honorable mentions? Ah, let's see. Everything, everywhere, all at once. A also movie. on mine. Yeah, yeah. It's a good movie. I didn't love it as much as most people did. I think my expectation may have been just too high. Uh, the trailer really sold me on it, and then I don't know. It just didn't. Uh, it, it was very good, but not. It didn't fully click for me. I am gonna sound crazy, but I wish it was wackier. I want it to be <laughs> wackier. I yeah, yeah. thought this movie was gonna be batshit, and yeah. then I see a movie like Crimes of the Future that it, I'm like, it, I mean, that movie was pretty fucking. I don't think it doesn't seem quite as crazy after you've seen the other one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I also thought there was gonna be more kung fu. Because there was like this big hype for like, you know, and while some of it was pretty stunning and Michelle Yeoh, like God bless the fucking woman, you know, Mm -hmm. making this huge, not only like comeback for her career, but like America is now recognizing Michelle Yeoh as like an actual fucking movie star. That's dope. That's dope. And if it takes everything all at once uh, to do that, that's dope. Um, The emotional core of it is what didn't like resonate with me in the way I think it did with a lot of people, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I found it 
slightly basic you know what i mean like mm-hmm. and I, I mean that might be the point you know what i mean five years down the road i might see that movie and appreciate how it was like oh that's really simple like it's this really huge heady thing but the the basic core of it is just very simple at its heart um i still really did like that movie a lot. i like the score a lot you know andre 3000 plays the flute on that score no i didn't realize (laughs) yeah it's crazy he doesn't rap he plays the flute a lot on it um i think uh what's his name the guy from indiana jones dr Uh, jones yes i I like seeing him back um yeah yeah it's surprising (laughs) surprising yeah and he's very good in it Mm -hmm. he's very good in it um my favorite sequence i just rewatched this film today uh, my favorite sequence is the bit with the rocks where there's just those two rocks. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. That, that was the stuff that like really hit where I was like, hmm, I thought the movie was going to be like more like this fucking crazy. Like mm-hmm. the entire, that was the one where I was like, this is legitimately wacky where yeah. there's I just that bit as well. Uh, yeah. And there's a little bit at the end where like she's battling her daughter and like they're like i'll stop you blah 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 and it's getting so crazy and then they just like turn into like little pinatas and they're like or we'll just hang here for a couple seconds until we get to the next one <laughs> i i cackled out loud at that bit um a movie i have on my honorable mentions that you actually uh recommended to me initially is a film that got theatrical distribution overseas in europe uh french film by the name of Athena directed by Roman Gavras uh, known for being kind of like a music video director um, more than anything. I'm a huge fan of uh, like French electro dance music. And there's a group called justice who made a music video named stress. That was like pretty controversial a couple years ago that really like, hit hard for me where I was like, Oh, this is the shit. This guy's going to be the new, uh, like, um, Gaspar Noel. And, um, he never really got to make the film that did this. Um, but there's a sequence in the beginning of this film where these like Algerian, like, um, like kind of, uh, resistance leaders, protesters, uh, protesting police violence against, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's the single take of the year. Right. Yes, like, it has to be. Like, you've anyone's curious at all should just watch the first 15 minutes of it. And if you don't like what you're seeing so far, you're probably not gonna like the rest. But you're probably a jackass if you don't yeah, like it. The first it's amazing. Minutes. I don't know how they did some of the stuff. I've watched behind the scenes and it gets most of it, but yeah, there's still elements where it's wow. And it was single take, um, as opposed to guys like in your retu with um oh yeah birdman and the revenant where they hide the cuts yeah 1917 where they hide the cuts i compared um what's his name roman to gaspar noel um this is the most masterfully executed single take that i've seen since uh climax the gaspar noel Mm -hmm. acid trip gone wrong in a dance studio movie um that is nightmare fuel that i really like too um <laughs> do you have any other honorable mentions no Try i think that's it you know what's one that i am give a shout out to because i haven't had a horror movie crimes of futures more science fiction mm-hmm. and it's one that you didn't like it's called it's a dutch movie called speak no evil that's uh, available yeah. on shutter 
Um, I think your mileage may vary on this one, but mm -hmm. if you're a fan of uh, Michael Haneke movies like uh, Funny Games, um, <laughs> if you if you want to feel yes, bad, good. Movie, yeah, 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 good comparison. Yeah. Henry Portrait of Serial Killer, Funny Games, shit like that. Like, if you want something that's just like, wow, oh, that movie's kind of cruel, um, check it out. It's stuff that, again, like Travis, you know me, man. Like, I, I don't really like those, like, wow, this is cruel for the sake of being cruel kind of movies. Um, but when one comes around where, like, I feel the purpose and intent behind it, those angst, Henry Portrait of a Serial yeah. Killer, Funny Games, like, uh, what's E.G. the killer? You know, even the ones that it's like, is the point to be like, I don't know if this is good or bad or something like that. This one almost like it's a commentary on like, you don't, you shouldn't always be nice. You shouldn't always be yeah, welcoming. You, like, you, you should take red red. You can't just be too accommodating. Uh, yeah. It, I didn't like the message of it. That's kind of one of the things. Yeah. 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 But like, trigger warning if you don't like, like, death against children and really mean cruel things it's a very cruel movie um yeah i have a lot of like fucking there's a good movie year man like you haven't <laughs> seen tar yet right no no i haven't, I haven't. weird movie that's so well made it's kind of like hard to deny um leaving it i was like oh that was my movie of the year and then like going home like some of it sat with me and i was like Dude, I like that as much as I thought. But <laughs> it's interesting to kind of see that subversion of like toxic traits in like the I hate to sound woke, but like the post Me Too, post cancel culture yeah. subverted towards a woman where like a woman can be equally as wrong, but also like, are you defending her? Like I was very confused. I love Todd Haynes. He made the Velvet Underground documentary this year as well. I love that. Have you seen RRR? The uh, it's not Bollywood, but it's another Indian. Uh, I think it is Bollywood. No. Okay, it's yeah, yeah. I uh, some sort I, of yeah, Indian no, mumbo jumbo. Three hours and I yeah I can't. Yeah, I knew there's going to be musical numbers and. Uh, yeah. There's a little bit, actually. There's a lot of bit of everything in that movie. <laughs> um, uh, I've seen a few Indian uh, films. Yeah. that as a recurring theme. Uh, yeah. Uh. Solid year for blockbusters. Obviously, there was Avatar, The Way of Water, Top Gun, Maverick, uh, but also some stuff like The Woman King, I would consider like a big blockbuster movie that I really dug a lot. You know I what did. I mean? It was a good movie. Yeah, great movie. Uh, Luca Guadagnino's Bones and All was a film that I fucking adored. That's probably going to end up making my top 10. Nope. Jordan Peele's Nope was a movie I loved and and really worked for me and i thought it was possibly one of the best shot films of the year um korean film decision to leave uh triangle Amazingly of, shot yeah 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 incredibly shot and i think travis i know like you were a little more sour on it than i was i still didn't like adore that movie we both kind of came out saying like what a well-made movie that like yeah, might yeah. not have resonated with either of us to the fullest extent um i think that's going to be one that like I go back to in like two years where I was like, eh, it might've been a little too harsh on that movie. And it's a masterpiece. <laughs> um, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I almost call it Guillermo del Toro's Pokemon. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was fun. Wish it was in theaters, not on Netflix, ruining fucking everything. <laughs> um, yeah. Good fucking well, movie for years, man. Uh, good, there is good one last one. I, I will go ahead and mention it. It's, uh, Play it on me. 
Yeah, it's called Hill Dogs. It's like a Yakuza film on Netflix. Not, it takes years sometimes for Japanese films to come out in America, if at all. They don't really mm-hmm. care too much about their films releasing outside of Japan, usually. This is a pretty solid little uh, Yakuza film. Uh, it doesn't do all of the usual tropes, but some fun performances, uh, really well done character designs. Nice hair. Okay. <laughs> a weird thing to note, but there's there's some one lady with a ridiculous pompadour that I don't quite defeat. Of uh... yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then honor of uh, you know the Oscars or the Golden Globes has their Cecil B. DeMille Award, the Lifetime Achievement Award, things along those lines. I think it's uh, apropos for the beyonders to have who won this year, Travis, who in the film industry won, who had the greatest success, who dominated the year culturally Mm -hmm. in the industry, or even for you personally in the year of 2022. Well, we kind of discussed beforehand a few candidates. uh, Absolutely. We want to go through them and yeah. Yeah. Um, a couple of these candidates, uh, Colin Farrell, potential winner of the year. This is a guy who rose to fame, very, very bright, but had a really long battle getting back to the top and oh, yeah. was a genuine fucking movie star in huge blockbusters and kind of reinvented himself as like an actor's actor. And this year he had films such as After Yang, The Batman, Banshees of Irishiran, and this guy is probably going to end up winning the Oscar for best actor at the end of the year for the latter. Mia Goth with Mia Goth rather with uh, Pearl and X who knew yeah. that this girl was capable of such things really putting out a performance that's going to go underrated. Absolutely. It's going to be overlooked with the Academy and all of the big oh, yeah. awards. She's not going to win an award for just a horror movie. And it's, it's whatever. Yeah. It's very lowbrow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. However, we we also I, had uh, we also uh, had. Uh, oh, sorry. No, sorry. no, no. I was going to say, I just. Uh, well, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, no, I should, wait, I should wait. I was going to say another candidate that I had here was James Gunn with uh, the Suicide Squad, a complete subversion of the normal blockbuster. You know, working within the system fair, making this kind of hard R, but also heartfelt flick. Mm-hmm. Uh, simultaneously working as a working man for DC and Marvel at the same time, finishing the Guardians of the Galaxy, being able to do the holiday special, and then getting the big promotion across town as the new head of DC Films. Mm-hmm. Um, some would say Big Jim Cameron won the year. He fucking did it. Big Jim never bet against Big Jim. Never bet against Jimmy C. Um, and then there's those AMC commercials with Nicole Kidd. <laughs> um, the winner here for me is is fucking Colin Farrell, buddy. Okay. Absolutely. For me, it's Mia Goth because Colin Farrell has been at the top before. Mia Goth is on the rise, I guess. Like where people are taking notice of it. Oh, she's really good. She's been in other stuff before, but people took her real notice of her this year. I feel. I don't think James Gunn is a contender because he, you know, has to deal with the Snyder Bros. And that's that's a losing proposition. Well, I kind of think that's one of the 
things that swings the pendulum into James Gunn's favor where he doesn't care. He canceled the Schneiderverse officially. Yeah, he yeah. put the fucking nail he in the He actively coffin. murdered <laughs> Henry Cavill. Uh, yeah. Henry Cavill, The Rock, Zack Schneider, <laughs> all the all bullshit. No. Took him down. Yeah. Took them fucking down. Down yeah. to Chinatown. I hope he's able to do something really great with the, that brand. It should be good. I, uh, but yeah, I don't envy the position he's in on Twitter. No, I don't <laughs> think he gives a shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I think he clearly. And he's been canceled before, so it's not like he's, he has experience dealing with American people. Some would say his cancellation got him a promotion. Kind of. Is this cancel culture got mad? Who knows? <laughs> All those fucking Schneider fans who were like. uh woke disney fucking canceling james gunn snooze you lose disney they're fucking eating their words now aren't they well, <laughs> we're going to show you that the first suicide squad is better and now they are I think that's a fucking madness yeah that is uh either a lie naivety or bad taste one of the above you know what yeah. i mean maybe a combination i, of I think a lot of it is like a dishonest uh arguing you don't say. You yeah. don't yeah, yeah. say. I, they're, they're, I can't. I just have trouble believing anyone can really like that movie that much. It's not a good movie. Liking it at all. It's an actually bad movie. movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It like tries to be horrible. Like, you know what I yes. mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Starring he who should not be named, uh, who also he doesn't like that movie, you know? Oh, retired yeah. bit. Yeah. For retired bit. Different reasons, though, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, although his kombucha apparently was delicious, according to Ryan Johnson. Um, mm-hmm. um, before jumping into a few news items, obviously, I watched 504 movies um, in the year of our Lord 2022. Uh, let's go over our top five Um Favorite first time watches for the year. All right. So Travis with the um, number five for your favorite first time watches in the year of our Lord, 2022. What do you got? Uh, It's going to be a tie between deadbeat at dawn. uh, This kind of grindhousey movie that, it's kind of like Hobo with the Shotgun meets the Warriors meets Death Wish, and it's <laughs> it, it's very amateur, but in a charming way. Like none of the dialogue feels wooden. It's just not particularly good, and it knows exactly what it is, though. Yeah, kind of, and it's kind of a passion project of the director, who also plays the, the lead role, and he's a, probably a dirtbag in real life, but it's whatever. How Pretty old is it? Eighties. Uh, okay, a five. Uh, it's okay. not boring. Uh, I said almost everything about it's amateur, but it's kind of cool. Kind of cool. Uh, yeah, that sounds fun as hell though. And I like a lot of those movies that like I watch. I'm like, I know I shouldn't probably like, I love the death <laughs> wish movies. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, um, one of the first time watches I almost put on this list was like hard times. Uh, the, um, Walter Hill movie with Bronson where it's like, it's kind of right-wing propaganda, but it also kind of slaps. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Tons of fun. Tons of hey, fun. Yeah. The, uh, the other uh, number five is The Lair of the White Worm, which is a Ken Russell film. 
Uh, my favorite from, film from him is The Devils, a famously censored uh, film. It feels this is a like a horror comedy thing with Hugh Grant. Uh, yeah, it, it is much better than I expected it to. Uh, it's funny enough as a, a good amount of style. Like there's parts in this that feel like they were cut out of the Devils, where the the vampire snake lady spits uh, venom at a, a Jesus on the cross. Like it, it <laughs> cuts back to a crucifixion scene for some fucking reason. It yeah, is yeah. completely bizarre. The villain looks amazing. They wear this all white suit with a tricorn hat, which it looks amazing. Uh, that is a movie where I've seen the title and. You've ever the seen cover. the thumbnail of like the, the blue lady with the snake things a million times. And yeah, I yeah. also like, I, I love Ken Russell, like as a guy and um, altered states and the devils is yes. my favorite, but altered states is like he the loves one his that, crucifixion scenes. <laughs> he loves them and he loves trippy shit. And he's a very mm-hmm. strange guy. Um, I think altered states is the one that like turned me on to Ken Russell. And that's the one like Same. you huh? smoke weed in high school and watch a lot. You know what I mean? Um, but the devils is the one that like, I think is genuinely like a great movie yeah, with some even very censored state. Like it... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there was a, one of my top 10 of the year last year was um, Paul Verhoeven's uh, Benedetta, which is yeah, yeah. kind of like in similar vein as um just this kind of like fuck you to catholicism kind of mm-hmm. thing that i really dug um that's a movie i'm dying to eventually <laughs> just hit the button be in the right mood and know what i'm in for like you gotta be know what you're in for before you watch it i'm sure right yeah yeah um yeah can't wait um it's, my a, number it's five, a lighter lighter but yes good good okay so knowing that i might just turn it on as soon as yeah, make, make yeah. that my first movie of uh 2023 <laughs> It's on Tubi. Uh, last I checked, I actually like bought it. I I oh. own it on uh, iTunes and or Apple TV, and I just never hit the button. I just like it was on sale for like three ninety nine or four ninety nine. I oh, was yeah. like, I'll buy this and watch it later. Um, my number five is gonna sound shocking considering all the pretentious bullshit I've said all <laughs> episode. Um, Tom Hooper's Cats from twenty twenty. <laughs> Um, a movie that is so bizarre. I can't believe it exists. And it's so genuinely strange. And it's as bad as everyone said it was. (laughs) I, 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 it's, it's shocking that anyone signed up for this or showed up on set and was like, this is what I'm doing. It It didn't just like run and hide. Like, you know, this movie's got like Taylor Swift. There's a point where like Sir Ian McKellen's, playing like a hobo magic cat with some crazy name singing a song for like judy dench who's like dressed as a cat in a basket like licking her pussy and like eye fucking him <laughs> like that's a real scene where she's just like Ugh. um taylor swift is in it a fucking there's no genitalia on the cats they don't have penises but they also don't have like a lot of fur they have like enough fur but not like they'll be like okay they're fuzzy but like Idris Alba is like the main bad guy in this and he's just like a black furry thing with no penis kind of jumping around Mm -hmm. like a Ken doll 
and it's crazy looking. It's really crazy. And I hope someday if like the midnight movie returns, people can like get hammered and see this movie and laugh at how bad it is. Cause it's shockingly insane. It is insane. I can't believe it exists. And then I never saw a cats, the musical. I grew up with a lot of like, cause in New York we had like this weird commercial on TV. I'll send it to you after the show for like it on like local news channels. And they were the weirdest thing ever. And I remember seeing as a kid being like, what the fuck is this thing? Um, and then I found out what it was. That's way down here in Arkansas, where there's no chance of going to see it. <laughs> you have know those weird commercials? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like I knew the song from that commercial. It was crazy, 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 crazy. Um, my runner-up for number five, by the way, is Running Scared, directed by Peter Himes, starring... Um, Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal. This is like a buddy cop movie that like, I just never saw. That's like as good as lethal weapon and all those movies or 48 hours. It's really fucking charming. And the cast is really fucking good. And it's genuinely fucking funny and also action packed. I really like running scared. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. I've seen it um, on streaming service, but you never pulled the trigger on it. I, uh, yeah. If if you're in the mood. Yeah. If you're in the mood for like, a good like comedy action romp. It's yeah, yeah. awesome. It's awesome. What's your number four? Uh, my number four is Chinatown, a movie that I felt like I had already seen. So it put off watching it for years. And one of the best Jack Nicholson performances feels like an old Hollywood movie in a good way. And mm-hmm. uh, shocking violence. <laughs> yeah. The end is fucking wild. Uh, yeah complicated film too um hmm? plot wise like oh yeah yeah it doesn't hold your hand you know (laughs) which is again like kind of refreshing um where we're kind of in this world where movies that are like the biggest movie of the year plot wise just kind of hold your hand and cater to yeah. every fucking will of the audience like so you don't have to do any thinking giant town makes you think it makes you question things it's a very very good fucking movie classic for a reason yeah, yeah. Uh, one of those movies i think a lot of people put off if they haven't seen it later on because they feel like it's going to be what i call like a homework movie where you're like <laughs> am i this is, is this good a movie but i don't I- enjoy it in the way that uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like, do I have to see Citizen Kane or like, can I just know it's like, or, or Seven Samurai or something like that? You know what I mean? So, um, I'm glad you finally watched Chinatown. It sucks that Roman Polanski sucks so much because he's (laughs) so good at making movies. Indeed. Indeed. I'm going to say that it's either the second or third of his movies I've watched this year. And yeah, well, I I had a first time Polanski watched this year with uh, Repulsion. Uh, okay. movie I almost made my list I took it off last minute uh to add cats um <laughs> my fair number four trade, fair, trade. fair trade fair trade fair trade uh my number four um is a movie that came out last year that I didn't see that would have made my top 10 last year if I had seen it and that's Paul Schrader's the card counter um Paul Schrader probably most famously known for writing taxi driver. Right. I'd say, yeah, yeah. um, 
famous for his uh, angry white guy in a room movies. Angry young uh, man, I think he's more right here because he did Mishima too. That's an angry yes. Japanese man. Yes, yeah. Uh, in later years, it's mostly just angry white guys, though. Um, and <laughs> well, he also, did, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and they're they're very handsome. Uh, with uh, Ethan Hawke uh, in First Reformed, a movie that is a fucking gut punch of a feel bad <laughs> movie. Uh, Card Counter is no exception. If you like movies like Taxi Driver, First Reformed, the um, Film Bro, literally me meme. You know, it reminded me. You turned me on to this one, also, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I thought it was going to be a uh, a movie about poker or whatever. Right? Me too. Yeah, and it is kind of like that, but uh, there's more. There's more. Uh, it's uh, reminds me of Hard Eight. Now that I've seen that this week. True. Yeah. 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 A similar yeah. sort of plot, and yeah. Uh, that guy Ty Sheridan, the kid who played Cyclops, is really good in it too. Mm-hmm. And um, I forget the name of the actress, but kind of like remarkable chemistry with Oscar Isaac. Um, sad uh, movie, gut punch of a movie. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Worth movie. checking out for sure. Yeah, if you Not like Paul Trader movies, it's like <laughs> one of his movies. It's very much a Paul Trader movie. <laughs> you know, he had a movie that came out this year about a gardener starring Sigourney Weaver that like just isn't available to watch anywhere. It's very hard and difficult to see. I didn't know that. No. Yeah, I didn't know it until I heard Sigourney Weaver on a podcast with Mark Maron a couple of weeks ago where I thought she was going to be talking about Avatar, but she was talking about this random Paul Schrader movie about being a gardener. <laughs> and I was like, what? This movie yeah, exists? It, yeah, yeah, needs the advertisement more, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, what's your number three? Okay, uh, True Grit. Uh, the Coen Brothers? Yes, the 2010 with Stein, or Haley Steinfeld, rather, and mm-hmm. Jeff Bridges. What a strong performance from a child actor, and insane <laughs> carries the movie. Uh, Jeff Bridges helps, but she does the heavy lifting. <laughs> She's the it. star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the main character. She's the narrator. And this is higher up on my list than Chinatown, simply because I don't like westerns for the most part, and that's what this is. It's just yeah. that, such great dialogue and strong performances throughout. Uh, it also features. It's, it takes place in my area, pretty much. Like, the one yeah. sounds mentioned is literally across the bridge from me. Amazing. And that almost never happens in movies, for Yeah. There's um that Coen Brothers snap and wit in their dialogue, kind of mm-hmm. like the Banshees that we were talking about. And it takes a lot to execute what's on paper there. Oh, yeah. uh, into a performance and the fact that like a 12 year old girl was capable of doing that with such precision and ease is unreal it's an unreal child performance um oddly quotable movie much like saying fooking and shit <laughs> like that you know what i mean and rowing yeah. uh, there's a lot of fun weird uh terminology and vernacular from the time period and true grit um I had a great double feature when that movie came out in theaters where I saw True Grit and Tron Legacy in the same night. It was kind of this like double feature of Jeff Bridges where I was oh, just yeah, so happy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was just so happy. Um, my number three is Ridley Scott's The Duelist, his directorial debut. Uh, I'm going back and rewatching all of Ridley Scott's films, which I also just... vouched for this one for you. Never you did. It. You were the one who like was like, you should watch this movie. Like, um, I tell it plays a madman. Because yeah, he's, a, he's an actual person. madman. You don't want an angry Harvey Keitel because he'll 
just hunt you for the rest of your fucking life and you have to fight him to the death. Yeah. He's got that like crazy old man strength too. Like that guy was like built like a fucking, you know, like a sterno. Um, yeah. Great movie. I love uh period movies that are like dirty and gross. And this is a That's, dirty gross period movie. We don't get that as much. Uh, it feels like it's kind of a sister film to the last duel, but this one I like more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just looks grimier. Yeah. Both have a lot of people like covered in poop. Uh, and mud, <laughs> which I appreciate. Yeah, yeah, and and their surroundings. Uh, yeah, agreed. What's your number two? Okay, uh, the lobster. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I didn't like Dog Tooth, so I kind of put off watching any more Yorios Lanthimos uh, movies for a bit. And then you, I want to say, you recommended the favorite, which I fucking loved. So that kind of good dialogue and characters. There's a recurring theme here, kind of. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think we both watched Killing of a Sacred Deer. I'm not sure if that was your first time. That was I saw that movie in theaters, but mm-hmm. I know we both rewatched. It. I forget if it was that that was this year or last year. Time is so weird. It was this um, year for me. Yeah, was that one? I think. Yeah, another like, who is this guy, Barry Keegan, and why is Colin <laughs> Farrell a good actor now? Um, Lobster, another kind of like dynamite performance from Colin Farrell, and sad movie. Yeah, like, yeah. Well. Deals with how we handle this, like societal norms and relationships and loneliness and uh, all that. Uh, it's very good, very good, very odd story, but it, it just works for me at least. Last movie I saw in theaters before getting a divorce with my ex wife, by the way. Oh, Did I ever tell you that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was an omen, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm gonna turn to a lobster next year. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do want to say that like uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer is one that I want to rewatch because I thought it was very interesting. And then I wouldn't say that I liked it by the end, but now I've just had like this intent to revisit it. So I'm thinking I'm going to like it next time I see it. Uh, His movies are so heavy and so like blatantly sarcastic. Like the, the dialogue so stilted and wooden yes, on purpose, yes. it's wild. It's an alien uh, trying to imitate a, a human speech. Uh, it... <laughs> Barry Keegan and uh, and Colin Farrell talking about like chest hair and shit. Like it's yeah, just so bizarre. Yeah, 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 yeah. That and all the bargains and killing of a sacred deer are. Oh insane. my god! There's a few of them where they're just. Trying to sell one another out, and uh, when dad insane. kills it's, you, it's, I'm it's, gonna take your iPad or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Step brothers level taunting that's going on. It's fucking so good. Mm-hmm. Um, my number two is I'm gonna call it a three way tie, but I'm also <laughs> gonna call uh 2022 the year that I discovered that uh Ben Wheatley is the director who I really really <laughs> like. Uh, he's a British guy. Um, who makes kind of low to mid budget, strange, ethereal, kind of trippy horror films. Um, and I'm gonna put a field in England, kill list, and high rise on uh as my number two. And it's mostly just the discovery of of Ben Wheatley. Uh High Rise is kind of like his uh venture into larger budget filmmaking, although it was a flop, it's got Tom Hiddleston and um uh, Lee Pace in it and um, it's like a big kind of high concept thing based on a 
book by the guy who wrote Crash, uh, the one that David Cronenberg made the movie on where they have sex watching cars crash. Um, <laughs> but um, Field in England and Kill List are, are, are more similar to one another. Uh, one night I watched um, Midsommar after watching Wicker Man earlier on in the week. And I was like, I should watch more Full Car. I like Full Car. What, what are some good Full Car movies? And mm-hmm. I came across these two. And was just like absolutely fucking blown away. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I love Ben Wheatley. You have any thoughts on him? No, I haven't seen High Rise. I've seen Kill List once, and I liked it. Though I don't remember a ton about it other than like the big reveal and a scene involving hammers. If memory serves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a. <laughs> Field, Field in, in England, England is weird. It has to do yeah, with like yeah. mushrooms and tripping balls. It is a fucking bizarre movie. And it's <laughs> I all like it a... too, but I don't recall much at this point uh, other than it's black and white, right? Yeah. No, yeah. it's 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 weird. It's weird. It's very hallucinogenic <laughs> and strange. It's, it's almost like a stage play where it's like all set in one place kind yeah, of yeah. thing with like a limited cast. It's I like Ben Wheatley. Strange guy. Makes weird movies. Um, we both had the same number one this year, Travis. That's it convenient, first. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we didn't even fucking time no. this thing out or talk about it until we started on the air. But uh, to be honored for best first time watches of the year for Travis and I is both uh, at number one, Come and See, directed by uh, Elam Kalimov. I can't pronounce it. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I have no idea how to pronounce the name either. Uh, I don't give five out of fives usually. I did with this one. Uh, on you also don't watch, really you know, like lore, uh, war movies. Yeah, that's kind of why this is my number one is that it's a whole bunch of stuff that I normally don't like. Child performers or as the lead, and war movies, gray palette, uh, just a whole lot of stuff I didn't like, and they made me appreciate it greatly. Uh, and it's even it's- kind of predictable in a lot of ways, but. It's so scary and it's so it's such a harsh, bleak fucking movie. Yeah, it is. You can see stuff coming, but it's still impactful when it happens. A hundred percent. And like in a year where like I watched I watched like Solo for the first time this year. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, you know, there there's those movies where excuse me, I have the hiccups where um they tell you like this is one of the most fucked up deranged upsetting movies you'll ever see and you're like yeah yeah sure 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 martyrs and then you see it and you're like oh no that was a gut punch and i don't feel good come and see is one of those movies but it's also masterful in so many ways Mm -hmm. travis we have officially completed our inaugural Beyonders Award feels pretty good. I I like this. I think we should have this as a tradition. I don't know why we didn't do it last year. I, I don't know either. Like, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Uh, we're gonna talk yeah. about Eternals or something. Yeah, probably some some fucking horse shit. I think it was just Spider Man or some bullshit. You know? Uh, I mean? Yeah, probably, probably. Yeah, but this was a good year for movies, both uh, blockbuster, mid-budget, streaming, theatrical, like kind of well-rounded fucking year. I think it's uh, kind of the strongest year for film since like 
2016-ish, that like moonlight kind of year. You know what oh, I yeah. mean? Um, a, a lot. And we left a lot um, kind of on the table here, too. Mm-hmm. Um, before wrapping up. A, a top 10 easily, probably. But yeah. <sighs> we could have. And maybe but, we'll publish our top 10 on Letterboxd. You know what I mean? Something and, like that. And yeah. Post it on the Facebook group. So if you are curious for the, the full list, find it there. Um, with that being said, Travis, before we wrap up for the evening, do you want to. Uh, talk about uh some news that kind of isn't news <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we can we can it's tradition let's fucking do it dude all right so there hasn't been much news over the past couple of weeks other than people getting very very angry at uh james gunn <laughs> on the interweb right yeah yeah pretty much pretty much and, uh, and a little rumor from uh don lee's uh pr department saying that eternals 2 is definitely gonna happen but uh you know hopefully that's not true <laughs> <laughs> indeed indeed uh yeah, yeah. The uh, only real news I saw was that we're going to be getting a flash there at the Super Bowl, I guess, in February. I assume that's I'll, the Super Bowl, right? I'll believe it when I see it, man. You know, like <laughs> I'm curious to see what is still in it. I know they cut some of the uh, cameos, I guess, but I don't recall which ones. I'm going to say Gal Gadot uh, and Henry Cavill, but I didn't think. Camille had filmed anything. But. I, I think it was like Godot and Keaton has been cut from this thing now. That's what I'm wondering. You know, I, I was looking forward to seeing Keaton again in the role, so I'll be a little disappointed about that. But yeah, yeah, I, I'm just ready for the DC to be rebooted properly. 100%. Or uh, Aquaman. <laughs> like, or like yeah, something I actually well, care about that yeah, isn't yeah. this flash movie that which apparently quote unquote shot like four years ago that hasn't come out yet. You know what I mean? Amazing. The the flash is the last of the, like we shot this before COVID and we're waiting for it to be released movies. Like top gun was one of those movies. Avatar Mm -hmm. was one of those movies. Like tenant was one of those movies, new mutants, you know, um, You know, some of these movies have come, some have hit big, some have come and faded. Um, some flew too close to the sun, like Icarus. Um, yeah. But uh, the Flash is like by far the longest one that that's held out for far fucking too long. And I just, I, you know, at the end of the day, I hope it's good. I liked uh, Ezra Miller as the Flash in Justice League. The hot dog, uh, pocket dog scene is famously my favorite part of the Schneider cut. Um, yeah, we'll see the trailer a uh, couple weeks away, February. So time will tell. Um, mm-hmm. The Fast 10 trailer is coming in two weeks. Vin Diesel has announced. And the new rumor is since uh, DC isn't going forward with any more Wonder Woman and Gal Gadot's uh, done with that contract, that her character is going to be resurrected from the dead, which uh, will be interesting by the time we inevitably do a uh, fast and furious uh, mini series. And I force you to watch those stupid fucking movies. Uh, which <laughs> I'm may not how... hurting it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. How you feel about uh, them constantly bringing people back from the dead though. <laughs> and the amnesia subplots and all of that. And um, I wonder if the, the big reveal isn't um, 
isn't uh, Gal Gadot if it's actually the movie's called Fast Triple X. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. State of the Union or Return to Xander <laughs> Cage, like an ice cubes in it or something along those lines, you know? Um, have uh, yeah. Jason Statham have a yeah, secret twin brother who was this character from the Transporter under an assumed name? Oh, yeah, I mean the director of the first two Transporter movies is uh, directing Fast Ten since Justin Lin quit because it's he couldn't get along. Jesus would want, I think. You need, <laughs> need it to is. make it happen. It is. We need to make this happen. So we'll start a petition for uh, justice for whatever the transporter character's name is. We'll figure out the hashtag <laughs> later. Um, and we'll figure that hashtag out on our social media platform, the MCU Beyond Infinity Podcast Facebook group, a wonderful place that Travis, Kira, and I have started to talk any and all things related to Marvel, the MCU, comic books, pop culture, films, you name it. We're probably talking about it over there in a very civilized manner. I'm very proud of everybody over at our MCU Beyond Infinity Podcast Facebook group. If you want to reach out to us directly and tell us how wrong we were for not putting uh, Black Adam or Morbius <laughs> on our top five list, you can email us at MCU Beyond Infinity Podcast at Gmail. Dot com. We have quite a break in between Marvel content, seeing as how it's not coming back uh, with the start of Phase 5 this February uh, with Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. So we have a lot of fun stuff in store. Um, Happy New Year, Travis. Happy New Year. Until next time, by Odin's Fade, I am John. I'm Travis. And uh, go fook yourself, right? <laughs>